Pick this, you assholes, and dig it good. Bond's been shot seven times. And he ain't dead. Does that mean anything to you, huh? Bonds ain't meant to die. The only thing that could kill Bonds is Bonds. Talking about killing? Good morning, good evening, good people. We are back after what seems like an inordinate amount of time in between recordings, even though it was only about a week and a half. Uh, I am your host, Mark Foster, and I'm joined as ever by... Uh, Ian Loring. I think I ate paint that was on my hand. <laughs> and, of course, you are listening to the Dude and a Monkey podcast. Um, if Ian dies halfway through this, we know it's a paint-related illness. Uh, I washed my fucking hands. Did, did you? And then I, I, oh, what the what fuck? What colour paint was it? White. White. Uh, what, what have you been painting? What have you been painting, Ian? I haven't been painting. I've been sanding. Sanding. Ah. I've been sand. I've been sanding um a bookcase, and I think some of the paint kind of got in my hand and refused to move. Are you are you going to paint the bookcase after sanding it, or are you going to leave it just sanded? Uh, no, we're, 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 all, all we were doing was sandling, sandling, sanding some little bobbly bits out of it, and then we're going to put a put a coat of white on it. It's for the um, it's for the kids' room. Ah, uh, nice. Uh, fucking hell! Right. Well, yeah. If I suddenly start sounding like I'm going to die during the recording, then we know why. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, it's like I say, it, it, it seems like it's been forever since we've recorded, but it's actually only been just over a week since we gave you the last episode. And in this episode, we're bringing you not one review, people. No, no, no. Not one review. Not even two reviews. Nope. Two reviews? Fuck off. Two reviews. Not even two. No, we're bringing you three reviews. That's it. Boom. We're going to throw some Lovelace in your face. We're then going to wash it down a bit of Prince Avalanche, and then we're going to beef it back up with Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. We're also going to throw some trailers in there, some Twitter questions, and guess what? Some one old and one news. So technically, you're getting seven, count them, lucky seven reviews on this week's Dude and a Monkey. So, let's get started. Ian, what trailers have you seen this week? Okie Koki. Um, what have I watched? 
Oh, not a lot by the looks of it. Um, okay, I watched the teaser trailer for Pompeii, the new Paul W.S. Anderson film. Uh, looks rough as shit. It looks really, really ugly. Um, and, I don't know, a Titanic-esque love story set during the times of Pompeii. I mean, like, the, the visual effects kind of looks like the visual effects from the Fires of Pompeii episode of Doctor Who. Um, so that's not good. Um, yeah, it looks terrible. Um, I, I mean, but the, the thing is, though, Paul W.S. Anderson, I am a little bit hit and miss with him. I didn't mind The Three Musketeers. I quite liked the last Resident Evil film. But then again, the Resident Evil film before that was one of my worst films of that particular year. So I'm all over the place with him. It's not a film I'll see in the cinema. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the teaser trailer looks horrible. And I saw the new tra trailer for Inside Lewin Davis, which looks... I mean, the trailer is based that basically has the same tone and feel of the other trailers that have come before. Um, rather annoyed. Uh, I'm not going to be able to see it until late January. I'll say that. Um, mm. You know, unless any screeners come my way. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm really looking forward to this. I, Oscar Isaac. It, it'll be good to see him in a lead role, and he looks like he's going to kill it. Um, uh, yeah, very, very intrigued. And to be honest, bud, that's. On Trailer Addict, that's all I can see of the trailers that have been added that I've watched since um, since we last recorded. I mean, you, you might... You, oh, no, I saw the trailer, for, uh, the teaser trailer for Vampire Academy, which looks fucking hilarious. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, uh, yeah, bad. Oh, and I will say, I also saw the trailer for How I Live Now, the new Saoirse Ronan film, um, which looks um, a bit odd. Um, I'm not entirely sure what that film is, but I, I don't know. It was an uh, interesting trailer. And um, I like Saoirse Ronan. I'll, I'll, I'll probably check it out. Um, how about yourself? Um, I saw the... Well, started watching the trailer for... Cause what I do is I, I just bound through a lot of trailers every now and again when I've got a bit of time to kill. Uh, started the trailer for Plus One and stopped it after about 35 seconds because it looked fucking nice. awful. Uh, trailer for Pompeii uh, just looks a little bit like if Paul W.S. Anderson decides to try and make 300. Um, and so the trailer for Parkland, uh, the upcoming uh, yeah. JFK assassination one, and at the start of it, you know, from knowing vaguely what it was about and the cast, uh, was a little bit sort of nonplussed by it. I'm really interested, to be honest, after the trailer. It's a really strong trailer for a mm. film that, you know, that's got some very good actors in it and some very kind of, well, yeah, but. It's been a long time since that guy's been good. For instance, Billy Bob Thornton. It's been a long time since Billy Bob Thornton was good. Um, but I'll be honest, after it finished, I did think, do you know what, fuck it, yeah, I want to watch that movie. Uh, other than that, there hasn't really been a lot, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of that downtime where it's like the end of the blockbuster season. It's not quite awards season yet. So it, it's like we've had we've had pretty much the trailers for all the awards season films. So, you know, what is there left? Certainly for films that are coming up this year. Yeah. It, like, you know, what is there left? It, it, it will be, sort of in the next few months, it'll be multiple trailers for the award-baiting films as that and, builds and up. And the winter blockbusters. And, yeah, the winter blockbusters. And also the sort of the start of the teasers for the, the early year films. Hmm. Uh, definitely. Right, so not a lot of trailers out, but again, if there isn't a lot of trailers there, there's not a lot for us to discuss. Um, so we'll dive straight into uh, and get balls deep in our first review, which is Lovelace. 
Here is a little trailer from the film. To me, it's a movie, like any other movie, only it has so many better things in it. Like what? Like me. <laughs> Have you slept with that guy yet? No! There are other things that you can do. I'd like to meet your folks. How's everything coming in there? Almost there, Ma! I think they dig me. She's beautiful, but it's not like the old days, you know, where you just point a camera at two people screwing and you call it art. I've never seen a porno before. I could teach you. Is she actually doing that? <laughs> yeah, right. You see that? That is art. Your girl is going to be a star. The one. The only. Linda Lovelace. I don't have any skills. That's not what I heard. Action. Cut, cut, cut. Whoa, Harry, what's the matter? I'm really sorry. Did I do something wrong? No, no, no sweetie, no, no. <laughs> I think you can be a real star. The pornographic film Deep Throat has become one of the most popular and profitable blue movies of all time. This is a phenomenon. You're going to be filthy rich. You get her doing what she's good at. I'm not doing any more porn. If I tell you to sit, stay, screw, you'll do it. What did you do to make him angry? I guess I didn't do what he wanted me to. We're all gonna win Oscars. Okay, you had a little bit of the trailer from Lovelace. Well, that's probably all the trailer from Lovelace. Not why I always say that. Um, Lovelace is based on the well, kind of a portion of the life of Linda Borman, better known as Linda Lovelace, and covers the meeting of her husband Chuck Trainer and how she was in her mind coerced into the, the world of porn and you've got along the way you've got Amanda Seyfried playing Linda Lovelace you've got Peter Sarsgaard playing Chuck Trainer. you throw in Sharon Stone, a bit of Juno Temple, Sean Patrick Adam Brody, Wes Bentley, Eric Roberts James Franco, Bobby Carnival, Hank Azaria and Debbie Mazar oh, and there's Chloe Savine in there as well so it's a it's a pretty a pretty strong cast of character actors uh, and recognisable faces. Uh, Ian, what did you think of, of Lovelace? I um, I thought Lovelace was alright. Um, I kind of feel like there was a more interesting story in, in a way in the bit that was kind of dealt with basically by text at the end. I think the idea of an ex-porn star having to get herself taken seriously as a campaigner for domestic violence, uh, against domestic violence, sorry, Jesus, um, would... Sadly, fucking... That that would have been interesting. (laughs) Yeah, 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 bloody hell. Uh, Sorry. Um, I I, I think, like, and that, and, like, having to change people's expectations of her 
and their opinions of her would have been would have been a really interesting film. I think the film that we've got here is made more interesting by the performances and kind of interesting by the way they tell it, the kind of the two halves narrative. Um, I think that elevates what's otherwise fairly standard woman finds herself in cycle of abuse, has to try and get out of it fair, which also isn't helped by the fact that how she gets out of the cycle of abuse isn't really through her own doing as such. And I think that takes away from the power of it, even if it is true life. It, I, I think that's unfortunate. Um, I, I, I think the performances are very solid. I will say I found James Franco super distracting. I didn't, I knew he was in it. I didn't know which role he played. And when it was basically, and James Franco as Hugh Hefner, mm. Um, that weirded me out. I, I think James Franco basically is James Franco, and it's kind of hard for him to be anything other than James Franco these days. Um, but I, I, I'm intrigued, Mark. What, what do you think? Well, I've actually been um, looking forward to this movie for a number of years. Um, it's It's been a strange one that's kind of... It, it, it's been a movie that's kind of split into two movies, because... The original movie was going to star Lindsay Lohan. Now that's apparently was then going to be another movie, and you're going to have two Linda Lovelace or Linda Borman biopics running side by side. Uh, it seems that the the Lohan one is is gone, and that's that's not going to happen. Thank God, because yeah. let's be honest, had this film had Lindsay Lohan in that uh, in that role. It, it would have it would have been just an absolute car crash of, of, of horribleness that we you know, hope we never have to see. So I I went to see a, a word of mouth screening and because of bad buses arrived very late and ended up the only place I could sit that wasn't taken up was right in front of the screen. Uh, so I had that weird sensation of having to look up at the screen rather than across the screen, uh, which actually was great because I had loads of legroom. Um, but the film that I was expecting is pretty much the film I got, to be honest. It was, mm. it covers, it sort of drops us very early in and covers a little bit of the of her start, but very much focuses on, right, this is the point where she meets Chuck Trainer, And I had an idea that the film was going to focus mainly on that and was going to kind of cover what happened afterwards Um as more of a drop at the end, and just a look. This is this is what happened here. Uh, I remember reading that the 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 writers said that the reason why they did it that way is they said that it was there was not enough, and they'd have had to pad out too much um, after the Chuck Trainer bits to to make it that they'd have had to go and ten years later this happened, and five years later this happened. So I think that kind of explains that, and it's very much it's similar to in, in a way, what the line did a very similar thing, where it takes you up to a point and then it goes stop, and it basically just said, look, there's, this person had a lot more going in their life, but we're only going to cover this bit, and it's almost like they're saying we're going to cover the Linda Lovelace years, not the Linda Borman years. Somebody else, if they want, can go and do that. We just want to cover this bit. I think that's fair enough. 
but I I think I I I, I don't know. I, I suppose maybe there wouldn't it wouldn't be a film that would get greenlit as easily if it was about her trying to change expectations. Except what I was saying earlier yeah, on. I think, but it's just that the material that's there, it's very very standard stuff. Like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it is. Yeah, this is this is a a, a behind the numbers biopic, to be honest. Um, which is quite strange because the um, Robert Stein and Jeffrey Friedman and the directors, their um, story Howl, which is also kind of a biopic, is done in a very sort of different way, and it worked very well. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie, which also had James Franco in it. Uh, but I think the, the standout from this film, I completely agree with you, Ian, is Amanda Seyfried is, is very, very good. Um, yeah, she's yeah, she's really, really solid. And doing a lot with not an awful lot on the page. Yes, I don't no, think. No, there isn't. There's very much a... She's the main character and the title character, but and she's she is the main focus of the film, but a lot of it is is very subtle nuances, and she manages to carry that over very well. And I think when you look back over Amanda Seyfried's career, is it seems she's very good at picking her roles. She she peppers sort of things like like Marmere and 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 Dear John with stuff like this, um, and you know Alpha Dog and the the Jennifer's Body, the stuff that she seems to find more interesting, stuff like Chloe and stuff like that, and. You know, it's it's refreshing that you've actually got a leading lady who actually can actually really, you know, cut it as an actress as well. Um, because often what you can find is that these roles end up going to people like, like Lindsay Lohan, who is doing it to just desperately shed that last bit of Disney-flavoured aroma from them. Um, but... yeah. I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I mean, she she's very much trying to do more adult roles, but I think it's a good idea for her to do stuff like this mm. rather than stuff like Gone. Yeah. Well, you know, but, which, which was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the idea was that was, let's see if we can, if she can sell a movie on her own, and it, it proved that she probably can't. I think she probably could, just not that movie. <laughs> yes, totally. a terrible movie. Um, so... I think this is definitely it's definitely a performance based film, uh, and I but I very much like the fact that and remember we are all spoilers all the time. I think the most interesting point is in it is the bit where because it's kind of leading up and you are kind of watching it thinking, you know, because I think a lot of people know a little bit about the the story of Deep Throat, and um, you're kind of thinking, well, this is playing it to be quite nicely, nicely, nicely. At the moment, and it, it, yeah. it, it, it and it's it's almost like a you know American dream comedy to that point, and then all of a sudden it goes it takes a turn, and at that point when it then takes you back, that's when you kind of flicks and you think, oh, it's gonna show you, you're gonna get to see the it's gonna treat it as like the two sides of the coin really here. That's quite interesting. I thought that worked very very well and the fact that they focused a lot more on the on the Linda Borman side of the coin rather than the Linda Lovelace side of the coin worked it, well it, it's very very boogie nights in yes. that where you know it, it's like it's, it's the party and then you've got William H. Macy shoots his wife boom the 1980s yeah very much so I mean the, the, the great moment um, where 
uh, Chuck Trainer is at um, Hank Azari and Bobby Carnivore's um, at the casting bit, and Bobby Carnivore's giving her the money and saying, "Just go, you know, go and go and get some, go and get some coffees." And then he goes up and says, "You know, we can't use her." And you know, Star's guys just saying, "No, just just watch this, just watch this." And Bobby Carnivore's explaining to him why he can't, and you just see Hank Azaria in the corner, just sort of pointing and going, "What are you, are you watching this?" And yeah, then he yeah, turns yeah. around and watches it, and that it's 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 funny and it's amusing. And then you've got the uh, the introduction of um, Franco as Hugh Hefner, which I completely agree. It's funny, yes, it's very funny that James Franco is playing Hugh Hefner, and he does play it like that. But it's almost Saturday Night Live sketch kind of Franco. Yes, yeah. Than it is actual, and it's kind of like. It, I know that the tone of it is supposed to be towards that level of almost, but I think to go that far felt a little bit too much like making light of the veneer that was what was actually going on. It, it would be like if Will Ferrell turned up in Boogie Nights mm. as, a, as a crazy porn producer. It, it would be like if Will Ferrell turned up in Boogie Nights as um, Ron Burgundy. Yeah, 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 that's fair. Uh, just to like do a report on the, um, you know, blossoming career of Mark Wahlberg or something like that. Yeah, yeah it, it just, it it felt a little bit, uh, clang. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, once it twists and it turns and then you get the, the, the darker side of it, I think that's where the film really starts to, starts to come alive a little bit. And, you know, you start to see a lot more sort of the behind the curtain stuff, the stuff that you already already know is there, like the fact that when they're at the party and you can hear the banging and they assume they mistakenly think that it's Sarsgaard and Seyfried getting on. But you quite clearly know that it's not. It's the fact that he's beating the hell out of her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that bit was a bit. I, I don't know, a bit too on the nose, just like, oh, something else is actually yeah. happening. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, even though I'm glad that came just like at the tail end of that section. But I mean, with with that, it it came out in the because have you seen Inside Deep Throat? Uh, no, I'm 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 rather intrigued after um, this film. I must say. In, in Inside Deep Throat, that the reason why they use that is because that actually that does actually happen. One of the guys does say that they, they could often hear what was, what they thought was them getting on. And then, um, somebody actually saw through the window once and it was just him just throwing her against the wall. So, yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, I mean, I think that bit could have done, been done. I it mean, could have just, it, if, no, it, if nobody said anything, it could have been done a little bit more subtle. Yeah. So totally. certainly could have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, Sarsgaard's descent into drug mania is very, very good. Yeah, I mean, Sarsgaard's always solid, and he's always got that kind of Turn. darkness lurking within him. But like, a, but a, a nice front kind of thing. I mean, Christ, he even classed up the Green Lantern film in that respect. He he had that kind of like the daddy issues thing, and he like started off as a kind of an all right guy, and then turned, you know. And I mean, he, he, he does, he kind of does the same here, mm. I mean, at least in a way, but I mean, he's got that, 
he's got that charming thing that you you can see why Linda would go for him, mm. like like uh, totally. And I mean, I I think he's very good in it. And I, I mean, it's it's quite a brave performance from um, from him. I mean, it, it's if it wasn't Peter Sarsgaard and Amanda Seyfried, I, I I don't think this film would be half as decent as it is. And it, I mean, it's the film is decent, but it's. It's not amazing, no, it's, uh, you know, even with the actors. It, it's certainly not not amazing, but it's it's a lot better, I think, than it, it than people expected it to be. I think people sure. expect it to be, like you say, like we've, we've said, it's a very by the numbers biopic. It, it ticks off the certain beats uh, across yeah. the board, but it's it's elevated, I think, by that that twist that it has um in 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 narrative and as well by by the fact i mean you've also got some very good um side performances bobby cannaval is very good uh hank azari is very good uh sharon stone rock patrick are both great uh the the scene with rock patrick where he's talking to amanda safer on the phone is a very very good scene even though i've got to say that bit where he was just like i had to walk out it was just like, well, I fucking hope you had to walk out. It was, it, 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 it was, it was, it was a very strange thing. But it, it does answer that question of the thing of um, do, do parents watch the films of their porn star young? Because I mean, you've got you've almost, got a very famous what is it of um, Jenna Jameson's father, who's very vocal about the fact that he watched his daughter's films, which is really weird. I, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's the same as Dario Argento, like, beautifully killing Arjo Argento in every single fucking film of his, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, that's, that's, a, I mean, Christ, that's another topic yeah. for another day. Blimey, <laughs> yeah. Charlie. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I thought Robert Patrick was very good. I mean, I thought Sharon Stone was very good as well. Yeah. Her, that, that scene that she has with, uh, the phone call with, with her there as well, you know, it, it, it I, I like the way that it's her character. She obviously hates her daughter, yeah. like hates her daughter. But and, and I mean the way she is using society, <laughs> excuse me, societal uh, expectations against her. You know, I mean, like it's it, so it's kind of like it's acceptable that she says this in a kind of a society kind of way. And Amanda Seyfried's character just has to kind of put up with it. There's no argument for that. And the way that it informs her decisions later where she's saying you know i just had to be a good wife you know you know like her, her mother's forming this thing that it's just like she has to go along with it I, I i i think that's actually quite subtle when it's dark and i i, I don't know i if if the film had gone along those kind of lines i mean it would have i mean it's interesting um sight and sound this month that kind of in development feature was about the development of this film hmm. And it is an interesting read yeah. and like the challenges they actually had getting it made in the first place. And so I suppose it's for all the bits where I wish it done it done other things, at least it was released and it managed to do to do the bits that it did. I did like, you know, uh, it just it is a shame that it couldn't have it couldn't have gone a bit deeper into that other stuff. Like, th- frankly, if this film didn't have the first half of the film, there's no way it would have been made. Oh, no. It had to have it had to have Levity. the the fun, light, frothy stuff to get an audience, despite the fact that this film is is using that 
as a kind of subversive way of saying, well, this is what you expect to happen. I don't know. It's it's an odd at odds thing between marketing and what the intentions of the film are. I mean, but I mean, it, that's the nature of the marketing beast. I yeah, I mean, that is, it, it, it's a very interesting point. I mean, the fact that I watched it in a, a word of mouth screening. Um, and it, like I said, the screen that I saw it in w- was full, and I, I think a lot of those people with these word of mouth screens is you do get a lot of people going because it's it's a chance to go to uh, the cinema for free, uh, yeah. and the fact that they're often made up of, of of different ways to get the tickets. I was sent it by um, a PR company, um, but it was also made up. Of, I could have gone by the PR company. I also had an offer of tickets from um, first screenings, is it? Uh, show film, show first. film first, yeah. Or I could have got my members card um, for pitch house cinemas. Yeah. So that was like three ways that people could have go- gone, and I sort of walked in and thought, "There's a lot of people here who I wouldn't have expected to have seen here." Of, we'll say, um, mm. and there was a lot of laughing in the first sort of thirty, forty minutes. Um, yeah, and then I was curious because I was sat right at the front. I I didn't have that thing because I thought I have a feeling there's going to be a few walkouts during this. If once if it gets nasty, which it should yeah. get nasty really for the film it is, I have a feeling there'll be a few walkouts. And I I didn't get to see if there were any walkouts. But then when I the film finished and I stood up and turned around, it wasn't as full as it was. We'll say. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. Mm. Um, I mean, do you have much else to say on Loveless? Um, no, to, uh, to be honest, no. I mean, it, the, the performances are good. Um, I don't know, I just, I, I wish it was a bit better. Uh, yeah, I, or, or it went down some different avenues, you know, but it's fine. I mean, it's it's definitely worth a watch, and I mean, it's only about 90 minutes long, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't outstay its welcome, I don't think. It, it just... It's fairly stock stuff. Mm. So are you at shit or not shit? Oh, oh, definitely not shit. Sorry, yeah, definitely I, not I, shit. I, 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 so. not shit. I think I liked it a bit more than you, but I think part of that was because I was just looking forward to this film actually arriving because the, the whole um, Linda Lovelace part of Linda Barman's life uh, I've always found sort of quite fascinating. Um, the fact that she's one of the most famous porn stars of all time and she was never really a porn star um, you know she she made a couple of, of, of movies that became very um, famous I suppose is the best word to use uh, and infamous I'd say um, and again yeah I, I, I wish they could have gone could have gone further but I don't know I, I think there would have had to have been too many compromises made along the way probably yeah, yeah, I, I think that's totally bang on. Cool. I mean, like Kermode was saying, he felt like it was like the authorised story of it, and I definitely think there's an element of that there. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can completely see that. I've not actually heard um, Kermode's thoughts. I was quite interested because he's been... He, he's got quite a, a long-standing interest in the the, the life of Linda Bauman, and I think he he's had some quite... Uh, 
deflammatory things to say about Touchway, and I think he actually met him during the making of some documentary or something like that. Yeah, yeah he, he talks about that on the, on the podcast this week as well. He thinks he was the last per, uh, last person to interview Chuck Trainer before he died, and, it, and he he just found him a reprehensible son of a yeah, bitch. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much what everybody says. I mean the amazing thing is, is Chuck Trainer went on to um, marry um, Marilyn Chambers. Oh, Marilyn Chambers, you know, yeah. After. What the after fuck? Uh, <laughs> After you know being with um, Linda Barman, which is again very strange because she she was apparently quite an intelligent woman. Um, well, probably she's apparently still an intelligent woman. Oh no, she's not. She's dead, actually, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> she is dead. Nice. It's that so nonchalantly. Uh, and on that note, we can play some promos for uh, other podcasts that we like and endorse <laughs> right that was some, uh, some familiar hi I'm Sarah from gorepress.com and along with my co-host Phil we present the gorepress gorecast but Sarah what is the gorepress gorecast well Phil I'm glad you asked it's a weekly show in which we review horror movies, discuss our love for the genre, and generally just blunder through, showcasing our startling ineptitude at podcasting. Hello, and welcome to another... Go- oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake! No, that is not helping! That sounds ridiculously professional. That can't be all we do, can it? It certainly isn't. We also try and talk a little bit about what we've watched recently, and selflessly plumb the depths of B-Movie Hell so we can inform you, our loyal listeners, about what to watch and what to avoid. Well, that just sounds dandy. Where could I find such a podcast? Well, Phil, you can subscribe to us by searching for the new Gorepress Gorecast in iTunes, or you can find us at gorepress.com. So much knowledge about this film. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick, the manager, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. (laughs) And romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back. For just one more adventure. Humans are such an easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures of VHS or visit adventuresofvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. 
Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just in English. That's the third time though. I mean, am I st- is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, you wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. Voices that you might know and hopefully will listen to. <laughs> Apologies if anyone um, from Mallory and Chambers' family is listening. I very much doubt you are. I, I didn't mean to belittle your um, family member's death. <laughs> um, Ian, um, do you want to fire a one old or one new at me? Oh, you disgusting son of a I am, bitch. I'm um... a horrible person, aren't I? <laughs> you know what? I'm so bad. I'm so bad. I'm going to jack off to Linda Lovelace getting beaten when the DVD comes out. <laughs> That's how yeah. much of a twat I am. I'm not really that was a joke. So. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna shut now. And let you talk. Okay. Um, I'll do my I'll do my one new. Um, and uh, to be honest, I was thinking of doing two guns, but I know Jordan saw it yesterday, so we'll probably talk about that a bit on Thirty Five Millimeter Heroes. So to avoid repetition as much as anything else. Um, I'll talk about uh, Clear History, um, which is the new film from Greg Matola, director of um, Adventureland and Paul. Um, and it's an HBO Films film um, starring Larry David, uh, as well as uh, John Hamm, uh, Kate Hudson, uh, Michael Keaton, Bill Hader, um, Eva Mendes, uh but lots, lots of people, Danny McBride, um, quite, you know, it's a good, solid, quite large cast, actually. Uh, story is, uh, Larry David plays a marketing executive um, who basically has to change his identity when he sells his shares in a up-and-coming electric car company uh, because of a disagreement with the boss played by John Hamm over the name of the car and uh, basically loses out on a billion dollars. So he changes his, his identity because he's like ashamed, well, ashamed and embarrassed. Um, nine years later, he's living um, in Martha's Vineyard, uh, where to his horror, um, he's changed his identity completely, shaved off his hair. And he's got he starts the film with like a long hair and beard. And um, he basically becomes Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and uh, yeah, John Hamm's character, along with his wife, played by Kate Hudson, uh, move to the area and he doesn't recognize Larry David's character and Larry David's character decides to get revenge on him for all his uh, perceived slights by uh, plotting to blow up his house. Um, so um, clear history. Yeah, it's basically curb your enthusiasm. Um, Is that in a good the, way or a bad way? I mean, it's good. Because Curb Your Enthusiasm is a good show, but it's bad because it's not a film. Ah. It basically 
you know, I mean, like HBO, HBO films, you know, I mean, like, they, they, you know, Behind the Candelabra was a recent one and like the Al Pacino films, Phil Spector um, uh, one as well. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that the, the biopic of Jack Kevorkian, uh, You Don't Know Jack, I think it was yeah. called. Is it Jack Kevorkian? I believe it might. Yeah, it, it, well, yeah I think it was. Uh, you know, and, and, and so, I mean, like, they do kind of like they do kind of like they're a big deal these days. You know, this I mean, the only reason why I heard about it was because they reviewed it on Film Junk last week. And um, I'm basically saying what, what they said, actually. Um, it, it, I mean, it's it, it's fine. And it is funny. I mean, it, it, it is very, very funny in spots. But it, it, I don't know. It, even the music, like the funny kind of musical pieces that play in the background of scenes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, play during scenes of this. And it's this guy basically going around pointing out things that are a, a kind of like wrong in a kind of like a so, barely socially acceptable, but still weirdly kind of endearing way, much like Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, I mean, it, there's not a lot to really say about it. I mean, like the, the, the supporting cast are very funny. Michael Keaton's got some good facial hair and he does a good voice and Bill Hader's his mate and they have, they have some good interactions going on. Um, you know, Danny McBride is basically Danny McBride, but he has good chemistry with uh, with Larry David. Um, and, and I mean, it, it, there is there is solid, funny stuff in here. There's more than enough laughs for a hundred minutes, you know, mm. more than enough. But I mean, Christ, if this, I I was complaining about Alpha Papa be, not being cinematic enough. If this was ever on a on a cinema screen, I'd walk out after 20 minutes and say, "I want my money back." I'll just watch that on telly. Thanks very much. So it's very, very TV. Then I think yeah. it's insanely TV. There's not one. I mean, apart from a couple of helicopter shots, I'll say, and an explosion. That's that's it. Which I suppose this explosion is a little bit spoiler alert. I didn't think about that, but um. Uh, well, now I've said it, it's probably more obvious what it is. Um, uh, back away slowly, Ian. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 fine. I just, frankly, I don't have a lot to say about it. It was either this or Tower Block, in terms of my one new. Yeah, so I think you I, I, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, pro I probably did choose, choose right. Even though I will say, Tower Block, it's on Netflix UK. It's all right for 85 minutes. Um, couple of decent kills. Tension's well done. Looks decent. Sheridan Smith's quite a spunky lead. Uh, it, I mean, it's not a world changer in the slightest, but Tower Block's all right as well. So I, I gave them both 3.5 out of 5. They're both worth a watch. Cool. Right. Uh, I'm going to throw my... I'm going to throw my one new... Um, uh, 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 I, I had a couple to choose from uh, with this. Um, to what I will say before I get into my proper one news, I watched The Heat the other day. Um, you know, the oh. Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy film. Uh, expected it to be shit, but gave it a watch. Do you know what? Perfectly enjoyed it. Nice. Perfectly enjoyable. Um, it is what it says it is. It's a 80s buddy cop film with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy in it. That's it. Fair play. Um, Fair play. And I, I hated Bridesmaids. I mean, absolutely hated Bridesmaids. Um, so I thoroughly expected to just dislike this, but I wanted to see how... I wanted to just see if it was as bad as I thought it was going to be. And luckily, it wasn't. Perfectly enjoyed it. So 
it's not a hearty recommend, but if you're a bit apprehensive about seeing it, just watch it because it is funny enough and sweet enough and eight is action um, buddy cop enough to make it worthwhile. Nice. Um, but I watched uh, the other day uh, Where the Millers. So I thought I'm going to throw it out there because it's, it's a film that people can actually go and see in the cinema and stuff like that. Um, hmm. All fueled by the fact that that, that I really find Jason Sudeikis uh, very, very funny. Um, don't know why, but do. Uh, he just seems to work for me. I've liked his work that he's on Saturday Night Live. Whenever I've watched it, and I'm not an avid watcher of that show, um, I didn't mind Horrible Bosses, Hall Pass was a piece of shit. Uh, and, of course, as you know, I, I adored a good old-fashioned orgy. Mm. Um, so, we are the Millers. Uh, basic idea of the story is, is Jason X plays uh, David Clark, who's a, a street dealer, essentially, um, despite the fact that he's clearly supposed to be in his mid to late 30s. Um, he just still deals, like, dime bags of marijuana. Seems very good at it, but th- that's what he does. Um he has two neighbours in his building. One is Jennifer Aniston, who plays a stripper, who is the usual as made bad choices stripper. And he has Kevin, uh, who at the start of the film, you find out that isn't quite... He's not that he's stupid. He's just very naive and very nice. And it strongly appears like his mother has basically run away. Um, So you get the idea that David kind of looks after him, but it more in a way of he doesn't want to look after him, so he looks after him at very much an arm's length. Um, David has his, all of his money stolen and like that and ends up having to go to Mexico and pick up what is he's told by his um, supplier, uh, played by, oh, what's his name? Uh, Ed Helms. That he has to pick up a smidge of marijuana, uh, which is quickly changed to a smidge and a half, which turns to two very, very big pallets of the stuff. (laughs) Um, It's the whole idea of the fact that he decides that the the way they'll do it is if they pretend to be a family. So you've got this wisecracking drug dealer, a not-too-bright kid, um, and then you've got throw. Emma Roberts in that, who's playing a girl who's run away from home, who's kind of living on sofas, who's a bit of an arsehole, and his stripper neighbour. Uh, and that that essentially is the story. It just picks out funny bits based on that. There's lots of different hijinks based around the fact that people keep on catching them doing stuff they shouldn't be doing because they're family and all of this. And there's a lot of bits that lead through, and I don't want to spoil it too much because, you know, it's not our main bulk review, and it is a film, it's at the cinema at the moment, so a lot of people won't have seen it. Um, it's actually perfectly alright, to be honest. It's There's a few absolute laugh-out-loud moments. It, it, it plays on its three strengths. One, Jason Sudakis can deliver a good comedic line very well, and there's about four or five where he just throws a one-liner out there and it works really well, and there's two or three where he had me, like, howling, laughing. Mm. Two, um, Will Poulter, um, who plays Kenny, who was in um, Son of Rambo, and um, 
Chronicles of Narnia or other stuff like that. Uh, and Wild Bill, which I think you really enjoyed, didn't you? Oh, Wild Bill's fucking awesome. He's very good in Wild yeah, Bill as well. He's very good in this. I, about, I mean, it was a good... I mean, I've seen a lot of trailers for it and everything like that, and it was a good sort of 20 minutes into the film before I went, holy fuck, is that the kid from Sir Rambo? And, you know, just mm. didn't notice the fact that his, his American accent is flawless and it doesn't waver at all. And it, it, it's funny the fact that he's not... He doesn't really have much comedy to it, but that's what's funny. He, he's almost like they've lifted him from a more dramatic film and just dropped him into this movie. And everybody else has got to be make fun around the moments that he's in. And he has kind of got to play it quite sort of straight all the way through. And, you know, his, the, the funny part of his character is that he's just really, really nice. Yeah. Um, Emma Roberts has nothing at all. She's, she's just like, she's just there. That's it. Um, and, and Jennifer Anderson's whole thing is the fact that, let's be honest, they, they do, to be honest with the film, is it revels in the fact that Jennifer Aniston is still very, very hot. That's yeah. it. That is that. That's the film. Um, it's by no means like a comedic masterpiece or anything like that. But when it crops up on Netflix or whatever, watch it because it'll it'll kill two hours and you'll laugh easily enough to make it worthwhile. Um, it's a little bit stupid at points. It dips a little bit too far down. It goes down every single avenue you expect it to go down, but. Like a lot of stuff that has um, Zadekis in it, it's funny because he's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost went to see this yesterday. I was deciding between this or Two Guns, and I just thought, this is one that I like. I, I can just watch at home with Donna yeah. on, on, on Blu-ray or on Netflix, whatever, at some point. You know, it's... Like, Two Guns felt like one that I'd get more out of actually going to see on a big screen. I think that was the case with that film. By the way, uh, you all love Two Guns. Oh, that, that's it. If I, I mean, if, if, if I had a choice between watching the two movies, I'd go for Two Guns. Uh, but it was it was more a... Uh, yeah. That was my choice. So I thought, yeah, fuck yeah. it, I'll give it a go. Um, and I, I was, it was richly entertained. I mean, like I say, there, there was... Two moments that had me just fucking dying with laughter. Um, and if any film gives you, and there was a lot of chuckles along the way as well. If any film gives you, a, you know, that it, it's good. And you know, I suppose the only thing Emma Roberts gives you throughout the film is you're looking at her going, she's so tiny, she's so tiny, but she's such a bitch. Even yeah. the fact that she, you know, has recently been done for domestic abuse just makes her a little bit more alluring. She's been done for domestic abuse. Yes. What? Emma Roberts. You know, she's um, going out with... What's his name? Why would I ever know who Emma Roberts is going out oh, with? Oh, let's be honest. Well, I know about it because um, she beat the shit out of him. Uh, Are you serious? Yeah, honestly. Um, Evan Peters. You know the kid from... Oh, the um, the one who's gonna be the, one of the the, the Quicksilver in X Men. Yes, uh, he's been in American Horror Story. Really? Yeah. Um, she beat the shit out of him. Yep. The reports were called for domestic abuse at a hotel they were staying at. Uh, when the police turned up, um, they found him uh, with a bloody nose and bite marks all over his arms. That's fucking and, hilarious. Um, what? Yeah, it was, it, and it's it's 
she admitted that she attacked him and that it wasn't defensive or anything like that. And he they basically come out and said they're going to move beyond her anger issues. What the fuck? Now, now tell me, look at a picture of Emma Roberts now and, and try and tell me that you're not a little bit more interested. <laughs> I know I am. If I was if I, if I was him, every so often I'd just say stuff to piss her off. Oh, now we know what. Uh, that's well, some... well, well, that's gonna that's 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 quite troubling. What my next film's gonna be as well. Oh God! Right, Ian, do you want to give us uh, your one orb? Yes, please. Uh, okay, so um, I, I've actually rewatched quite a lot. Um, over uh, since we last recorded, but um, uh, I'm going to talk about one that I said we'd talk about uh, just because we'll probably get a, a bit of discussion out of it. Um, the Expendables two. Um, I just I've been for some reason I've been in a mood to rewatch the Expendables two. I I, do, I don't know why. I just wanted to give it another shake. Um, and it's on UK Netflix, uh, HD in 5.1, so that's pretty solid. In Super HD! It is in Super HD, which is amazing. Um, and, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, sorry. Um, I, I'm still exactly the same as I was before with it. The Expendables 2 is a film that just suffers from trying to have its cake and eat it. Stallone knows that all, like, basically all we want to see is a bunch of stuff blow up and people give one-liners, but he can't help himself trying to have some more serious, weighty, in the most air quotes of air quotes you could ever put that kind of stuff. So... You know, the first 20, 25 minutes are fantastic. You know, the um, the rescuing of Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is amazing. Um, it, it's the team all working together, having a laugh, you know, and, and, and just, having, just having a whale of a time. The next hour is bad. It, it's just straight up bad. It's, you know, a spoiler alert for Expendables 2. Um, Liam Hemsworth's film, uh, sorry, uh, character gets killed off, and they seek revenge. And you know, it, it, it's Sylvester Stallone saying, "He was the one who was to die, when he was the one who had the most to live for. We all deserve to die. He didn't. You know, it, it just, I, I don't need this maudlin shit." I also don't need the the city of the women who can't shoot straight. <laughs> you know, it, it, but that that entire bit is, you know, but I mean, like you've got that, and in that see in that whole bit as well, you've also got I now pronounce you na- a man and knife. Mm. You know, so it just yeah, there, there wasn't. I don't. I mean, the thing is, the first Expendables kind of had this kind of stuff as well, where it was like about the country freeing itself and, you know, the dictator guy and Eric Roberts having their disagreements. I really, really hope with Expendables 3, like, apparently, have you heard what the plot of Expendables 3 I've is? I've not heard the plot, no, to be honest, I've not. I'm perfectly open to hearing what the plot is, but I've just, I've, I've missed it. I've been incredibly busy the past couple of weeks to read anything, to be honest. Yeah. 
So basically, Mel Gibson plays a character who formed the Expendables with Sylvester Stallone's character and went off and went off the rails. Already looking. Yeah, exactly. And he decides to basically take out the Expendables. Brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, that it's gonna be personal. It's gonna be vendetta based. It basically is that. It's going to be Vendetta-based, and it feels like it's going to be kind of an all-out Expendables war. That is fine. You know, and I can't help but think, like, that is going to, like, have its self, like, knowing what itself is throughout the whole thing. Expendables 2 is a film that has the city of the women who can't shoot straight, and Jean-Claude Van Damme playing a character called Jean Villan. Villan. And uh, he was originally going to be in the sequel, wasn't he? In, in 3, playing Claude Villan. Oh, God, was yeah, he? That, that, Honestly, that was originally the idea was going to be this, the Expendables 3 was going to be, um, and again, spoiler for Expendables 2, but I'm guessing anybody who wants to see Expendables 2 has either already seen it, and let's be honest, this isn't going to be really much of a spoiler. You can know this from the start. Uh, yeah, he plays Jean Villan. In the sequel, he's going to play Claude Villan, who was going to get retribution on the Expendables for killing Jean Villan. You see, that, that sounds good. That sounds, that, that, it, it sounds incredible. And I'm pissed off with Jean-Claude Van Damme for being a Bruce Willis-loving greedy cunt who wouldn't take the money. Oh, so that's that's what it was. Oh, it? It, was it, it, it was another one where he just he, he wanted too much money. Because I mean, he, want, he was originally going to be in the first Expendables, but he wanted too much money. Yeah. And then he decided to you know drop his fee for the second, um, at, but only if he was you know the big bad. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. Stallone said that's fine. I'm I'm I'm, we, I'm down with that. Uh, but then to come back for a third, he was like, no, I want this much. And they just went, you know what? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that whole Bruce Willis thing's interesting as well. I mean, like, Stallone just outright slagging him on Twitter does feel a bit unprofessional. Well, I think it's because they're still... It, 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 it's the sort of thing where he's basically saying it's nothing I wouldn't say to his face. And they still... You know, they both sort of claim that they still remain friends. But that just uh, he, he's got greedy and lazy. And it, he has. I think it was it was a way for him to say, look, you know, to definitively, if anyone says, oh, why isn't Bruce Willis in it? It's just a way of him going, well, you're in it because you wanted too much money. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I suppose that's that's fair enough. And and in all fairness, four million wanting four million dollars for three days' work, actually being offered three million dollars. Mm. And still saying no. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a few things that I hope from the Expendables 3. I hope we get more Jason Statham. Because he wasn't in the Expendables 2, really, let's be honest. Yeah, he's kind of, he is weirdly sidelined. I mean, he gets that pretty solid fight with Scott Adkins towards mm. the end. But, but there's, there's a um, whole bit in the middle where he just isn't there. Yeah, where he's driving, like, he's driving to that town, yeah. and he basically misses that entire bit. And also, I will say, the Chuck Norris right, stuff, shit. It, it just clangs. It, do you know what it seems like? It seems like they've gone, right, who else can we get in this movie? You know, who do we have in the first? Who else can we get? And they've gone, and someone's gone, Chuck Norris, we've got to get Chuck Norris. And they've got Chuck Norris, they've signed him on, 
and then they've started to make stuff with him and they've gone, God, this guy's a dick. And just and just basically wanted to get it over and done with as quick as possible. I I mean I, I bet I, mean, I bet like, you I bet you that if there was a rap party, they all went, Yeah, Chuck, it's it, it it's at this place and then he was like, Oh right, all right, cool and then they went, right, quickly, we're changing it, it's gonna be at this place, but nobody tell Chuck and what we'll do is we'll say, Did 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 you get the text? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I you do get that sense. I don't know, it just it's such a fucking mishmash. It really, I mean, it, 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 it's bad. It, it's just bad. It, it, I mean, but, but it's but, really entertaining but, at points. But the, yeah, the last twenty-five minutes are great. You know, that whole airport bit is fantastic. I mean, like just the image of Stallone, Willis, and Schwarzenegger shooting through that glass. Mm. It, it, it I, oh my god, it's so good. And the smart car bit is really fun. Um. Pardon me. I mean, I love Terry Crews' gun. The the gun that just seems to make people blow up. Yeah. It, 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 you know, and the sound it makes. It is a hell of a it, noise. I, it, it's incredible. I really like Terry Crews in this as well, mm. you know. And I, it just... It, ah, that, the, 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 that, the, the, the village of the women who can't shoot straight and that, that fake village and the love interest... I, that whole bit about like they're talking about what food they want, and she just goes, "Well, I could, you know, I could always go for a bit of Italian." And, it, and just what the fuck? It, it, oh. <laughs> but the thing is, is they're trying to heart back to the ridiculousness of like the straight to video eighties and nineties action movies, and you've got lines like that in those films. You know that yeah. that film could have been lifted out of one of five or six Stallone movies made between 86 and 95. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm done anyway. But it just... I, I, I still am very up for Expendables. I think that's it. It's, it's the fact that... I think it's... You know, people, even people who didn't like the, the first in their heart of hearts would have had to admit they were looking forward to the second. And people who don't like sure. the second will still be, in a little way, looking forward to the third. I've enjoyed both of them. Um, but then again, you know, Stallone is... You're not very picky. I, 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 I'm not very picky at all. I will freely admit that. And Stallone is one of my um, Hollywood heroes. So, you know, the, these films are going to have to really, really fucking suck me to not like them so I, I really like to, i'm really looking forward to number three you know when you've got people like you know mel gibson's an arsehole so i'm looking forward to sylvester sloan beating the shit out of mel gibson um and you know i hope that we've got you know got wesley snipes in there as well and i'm hoping that you get a little bit more um statham and a little bit more a little bit more jet lee but i, I doubt we will because he you know, let's be honest, he, he looks like he maybe isn't as bouncy as he used to be, we'll say. Or maybe yeah. he's more bouncy in a different way. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in in kind of casting action kind of movie news, did you see the um, latest Fast 7 news? Um, the bloke from the raid? Uh, no, Tony Yar. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, I just had that wrong. Yeah, Tony Yar. Yeah, there, that's, that's very interesting. very interesting, yeah. That could be 
that could be pretty fucking good, actually. I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Right. Right. Okay, let's have your controversial one, then. I wouldn't say it's controversial. Uh, right. After uh, watching um, Passion uh, the other week and being thoroughly underwhelmed, um, it kind of rekindled my interest in the um, the erotic thriller uh, genre. And you got you had a lot in the kind of late eighties, early nineties, mainly like the early nineties of these um, of right thrillers cropping up that were well, a lot of them kind of were made to cash in on the the success of um, films like Basic Instinct, for instance. And so for a couple of years, you'd always see these kind of they were virgin on softcore um, films coming out. So you had things like Basic Instinct, um, Sliver, and showgirls, things like that. And you also had one starring Madonna and Willem Dafoe uh, in Body of Evidence. Have you ever seen this? Uh, no. Oh my God. <laughs> my God. Okay. Right, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll tease you a little bit with the story. Right? Um, Madonna plays a woman called Rebecca Carlson, um, and Willem Dafoe plays Frank Delane. Uh, they meet because... Madonna's um, boyfriend, uh, who's an elderly, not elderly, but he's an older gentleman, who happens to be quite wealthy, um, has essentially been fucked to death. And Madonna is being charged with murder through sexy time and drugs. And Willem Dafoe plays her lawyer uh, that she hires to defend her against these vicious accusations that she lured a man with a poor heart into bed and essentially fucked him to death with all of her kinky <laughs> sex games. <laughs> right? So you can pretty much tell what happens, that um, Willem Dafoe kind of becomes intrigued and embroiled in these kinky sex games. Um You've also got a supporting cast of um, John Antagnia, uh, Anna Archer, Julianne Moore, and Jürgen Prochow. Um And essentially, that's that's the film. There's there's not a lot more. Is that um, Willem Dafoe has to kind of prove her innocence, while also the fact that he kind of thinks that she might be guilty, but yeah. he's still trying to prove that she's innocent because that's what he's employed to do, while also he becomes sexually involved with her because of his curiosity about all the S&M stuff that goes on. Um, the film, really, when you boil it all down to it, is an excuse to get Willem Dafoe to look horny and Madonna to get naked a lot, which happens a lot. So you have scenes with Madonna pouring candle wax on Willem Dafoe, uh, and you have um, there's there's just a there's a lot of Madonna nudity. Um, it's made by Uli Adel, uh, which is quite strange because when you look through his CV, he did Last Exit to Brooklyn, uh, a very good film. Uh, the Whispering TV movie, a very good film, and he did um, the Bad of Mainhoff, um Complex. Oh blimey! I know, man. right? Okay. Uh, he also did uh, the Little Vampire as well. <laughs> You know, with Jonathan Litnicky. Litnicky, yeah. yeah, the kid from Jerry Maguire. Which is a right, fucking yeah. strange one to throw in that. So it's a Dina De Laurentiis uh, production as well, <laughs> which nice. somehow just makes it even more 
seedy, we'll say. Um, it's brilliant. I, I, you know, I, I've watched. I don't believe I've you. I've watched this film in years, but it is so ridiculous and so over the top and so, you know, the you know stuff like Dress to Kill and uh, Body Double, the department ones that I was talking about, loving last year, mm. the last year, last week. Mm. Um, this is that type of movie. It's overblown. It's ridiculous. Its plot makes very, very little sense. Um, and its 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 sex scenes go on way too long. And there's far too much of Madonna um, playing with herself. And it's so aching as a film. Yet I was watching it going, this film's terrible, but I'm enjoying it so fucking much. It's ridiculous. I yeah. Frank Langella turns up at one point as well. Honestly, buddy, honestly, it is it 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 is one of those where you watch it going, this is fucking terrible. And it's brilliant. It is so wonderfully knowing of itself in a way where you get the idea like the only person who knows how terrible this movie is is the director. Everyone else that's in it thinks that it's magnificent. But for some reason, it, it for me, it just works. The ridiculousness of it and the overblown soundtrack and the the fact that it is so, taking itself so seriously as well. And the fact that Madonna is trying so hard to be Sharon Stone. Uh. I, I don't think I'll be watching it, but ah, it's it, you're, you're it, missing it, out. It's, it's it's not my bag. I'm 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 sure I am. Yeah, you see, you're gonna get a lot of a lot of this because I'm, I'm back on the uh, mid '90s, early '90s erotica thing. So it's your basic instinct next week. <laughs> right, uh, that was our one old, one new, uh, and we're going to get into our second uh, main review, which is of uh, David Gordon Green's Prince Avalanche, so here is a trailer for the film. Fucking body of evidence. You fucking love it, and you know you do. I've never seen it, I'm not going you, you will. One day, it'll crop up on Netflix, and you'll go, you'll be a little bit drunk, and you'll go... Ah, fuck it, why not? And you watch it, and then the next day you'll, 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 you'll tweet me and go, you were right. You were so very right. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it's so good that there's not even a Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Dear Madison, the weekend is coming and I'm thinking of spending some quiet time alone. Being out here helps me see things more clearly. I can't say I miss city life. Your brother, on the other hand, I think that you and the family need to think of something else as far as his occupation. He quite realistically could never amount to anything. Sometimes I wonder if he is learning disabled. Lab coat? Or has a bad disease. There's birds in here. What? Not that I dislike him or anything. You're the worst person in the world! He's totally fine. 
Um, oh, right, uh, so that was, a, that was a trailer for Prince Avalanche there, uh, which is the new David Gordon Green movie uh, made on the sly um, by David Gordon Green because he didn't want to publicise it because he wanted to go back to his uh, independent roots of making kind of low-budget, more weighty films. Uh, and he wanted to go so back far to those roots that he cast Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch in the lead roles. Um, story is uh, set in the uh, 80s. Um, Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch play Alvin and Lance. Um, Lance is Alvin's girlfriend's brother. Um, and they are spending the summer painting lines and doing general work on the highway that has been ravaged by fires. Um, the film is, I think it's out on VOD in America at the moment, isn't it? And yeah. it's not yeah. actually been released over here yet, has it? comes out November. November. Ah, oh, right. I, um, right, Ian, what did you think? Um, okay, yeah, Prince Avalanche. Um, I, 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 I quite enjoyed this, actually. Um, I will say, I don't hate David Gordon Green's recent work nearly as much as some people. I, you, Your Highness was terrible, but was I actually... Awful. That, yeah, but I, I actually have quite a lot of fun with the sister. I, I think um, me and you are the two people in the world who actually quite like the sitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think the sitter's bad at all. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wasn't super bothered about him going back to his more indie kind of roots. Um, but, I mean, I, and, I mean, I will say, frankly... I'm not I, I I'm not that big a fan of George Washington. Um, I, I, I to be honest, I'm not a fan of George Washington. I don't mind all the real girls, but I think it gets a little bit too much praise. Yeah, yeah. I mean like Snow Angels, I I, I, I will say I really, really like. And it's the one film of his that seems to have been completely forgotten. Um but I, I really did enjoy Snow yes, Angels. It is um, very good. Yeah, so um but yeah, um Prince Avalanche, it's very, very slight. Yes. It, it, the the general feel of the film, kind of, but not in, not in, it, this almost feels like it was purposeful, does feel like it was kind of quickly shot and quickly put together and quickly edited and quietly released. It just, it, 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 it feels like this was some blowing off of steam. Mm. And, um... I, in in that way, I, I think that that was intended, and I think because of that, I'm actually perfectly happy with it. Uh, survives mainly because the relationship between Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch is really interesting. Um, you you watch them, I, well at least I watch them. I found I found them engaging throughout. Um, but I mean, it also looks good. Uh, the explosions in the sky score is really good. Um, it, I mean, again, it doesn't outstay its welcome. I, I just, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm almost two weeks removed, um, to be honest. So I, specifics might be a bit hard to come by, and especially when the film is so slight. But um, my general feeling of it was, it, it, it was a, it was a good watch, and it's an easy recommend. Mm. I think it, it it's. It's a 94-minute advert for an Explosions in the Sky album. Okay. Um, it's it has moments where it it's it's good and it's very good, but it it it's, it's so stretched out um, to make a 90-minute movie that there was several points where I was watching it, just kind of going, 
could could you could you do something because you've not done out for like a good 15 minutes now and it felt a little bit like there just there wasn't there's nothing else to the story other than 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 their relationship really but there are points where their attempts to have more that he then doesn't explore anymore and it kind of I mean the whole the, the bits with the um the lady they were they were a little bit i can see you're trying to do something here but i'm not i don't there's not enough here to suggest what you are doing yeah i mean it, it, it's like the the fact that he quite clearly talked to this woman it it, it almost seems like they had they maybe had more or they didn't know what they were doing with her. And so they ended up just doing nothing with her at all. Um, I, I think it, it's very much led by the fact that Paul Rudd is is quite a charismatic character, no matter which incarnation he decides to be taking on. He's quite a charismatic person to, to stay with. And even though the character he's playing as Alvin is not, is not a charismatic character, um, the fact that Paul Rudd is an enjoyable person to be with, it, it, it works with that quite well. And there are certain patter bits that work very well. But for me, the film just kind of... for the la- It descends a bit off a cliff for me in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes um, from when they decide to start drinking to the end. I was very much like... I, I, at this point now, I've kind of given up caring a little bit. I I don't know. I mean, like I I the, the thing is, I enjoyed that bit because I enjoyed seeing them together and Paul Rudd's character kind of loosening up. I, I you know I, I I enjoyed that stuff. And but I mean, if I will agree, if it wasn't for the truck driver character, that the, the film would have gotten stale quite maybe quickly. Mm. You know, but um, he kind of amps up proceedings. But I don't know. I just they're co- I liked their conversations. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, I like I, I liked Paul Rudd's character trying, you know, trying to get Emil Hirsch's character to grow up and take some responsibility, while also kind of loosening up a bit himself and kind of realizing that his life does not need to be defined by this this one woman who's apparently not very nice to him anyway. Um, I, I, I just, I, I got a lot out of that and I thought that the surroundings were, were rather appropriate for the kind of conversations they were having. But I mean, I also thought that, that, that there were a bit sort of funny as well. I mean, frankly, the Emil Hirsch masturbation bit made me laugh. Um, the, um, oh God, you see, I'm two weeks, two weeks out. It, it this is going to be a really short review. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, there's not. A lot in the in the film itself really at all because not a lot really happens. It is essentially two guys discussing the same things over and over again. Well, I mean, I think there's a bit of development with that. I mean, like Hershey's character kind of coming back from the weekend and kind of having like little updates and you know, and like the way that that progresses. Then that does does progress within the way that he the the, the second the revelation of what he what he says, but. It just does. It, it it just felt like a lot of their conversations were very very similar to the one they'd had before. 
Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's, I, I think that's fair enough. I and don't know. I mean, also as well, what I always get from from Hirsch is that, and this is throughout his entire career, he picks very good films um, to do. So it's strange, but I always get the feeling every film I ever see him in that he's just remembering and saying lines. I never get the feeling that he's actually that he's actually the character that he is. It's just that he's got different hair, wearing different clothes, and he's just saying stuff that he's read on a page a little bit. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I, I thought he had that the kind of the loosey goosey attitude down pretty well actually. Um I I, I I believed him as this character. I believed him as the, the, the character but I, I never believed I always believed him as as Emil Hirsch playing this character. I don't know why he just he always comes I've always looked at him going he just never quite does it for me and he always picks quite interesting roles which is quite strange. Hmm. I, 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 I don't know. I, I tend to disagree with that. But then that's just opinions on the actor, not actually in well, no, the, the film. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the actor, but I can't think of a single. I can think of a lot of Emil Hirsch films, but I can't think of a single Emil Hirsch performance where I've gone, "That was fucking good." I think of a lot of Speed Racer. Good film. Is his performance great in it? What a Speed Racer? Yeah, I think he's good in Speed Racer. I think he's good. I don't think he does anything beyond all right. I think he's quite good in the girl next door. Well, one thing I will get up, oh, the girl next door. Yeah, that yeah. probably that and Killer Joe are the only two where I can say. Oh yeah, Killer Joe for fuck's sake, he's great in Killer. He's Joe. great in Killer Joe, but in Laws of Dogtown, Alpha Dog, to an extent, Lightstone, Into the Wild, Milk, Taking Woodstock, The Darkest Hour, Savages. He's just a meal Hirsch in different clothes. I'm going to see who Emil Hirsch's girlfriend is, because I think you've got a problem with him because of that. Who's his Who's girlfriend? He's gay, Which isn't... I got a problem with he's gay, either. Uh, Emil I mean, Hirsch girlfriend. I'll be honest, he comes across as a really nice guy, and he, like I say, he picks really good films, but I've just never been convinced by him as the, the actor that he seems to get credit for. I just think you got a problem with him because of his girlfriend. Who was his girlfriend? Whoever his girlfriend is. I don't know. I just think you've got... No, and I think you've just got a problem with him because you like his girlfriend. <laughs> I'm going to find out. Emil Hurst's girlfriend. Right. Yeah, yeah, you say fucking finding out. you got pictures of her all over your bloody room. Emil Hurst... It's always just says girlfriend, never says who she actually is. Why don't I know her name? Why don't you? You seem to be very interested by celebrity partnerships. Why? Because I knew that Emma Roberts beat the shit out of the kid from what is it? Yeah. Oh, God, no, I wouldn't go for it. Why would I ever know who Emma Roberts' boyfriend is? Because she beat the hell out of him. It's funny. He's just another faceless domestic abuse victim to me. Yeah, but when it's a guy, it's funny. Hmm. She's very tall, his girlfriend. Whose girlfriend? Emil Hirsch. Oh, or he's, he's just she? very short, isn't he? Uh, he's got a weird face. She looks like a bitch. I don't know, she looks quite fetching to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest... I don't know. 
I didn't hear it. I just didn't like it. <laughs> what, um, Prince yeah. Avalanche? Yeah, getting back, to, getting back to the film that we were reviewing. Yeah, <laughs> getting back um, to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, fair enough. I just, I, 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 I got into the vibe of it, I think. Uh, and I think if you don't settle into that, you might well have a problem with it. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I just, I liked it. I, I, I think, I hopefully I've adequately explained why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people like it because it's quite, it is quite breezy, it's quite airy, but it, I, I found it a little bit obvious and a little bit dull and a little bit at points. I don't know, like, if this didn't have Paul Rudd in it, would anyone give a shit? Um, I think because it's David Gordon Green, they probably would. Yes, but all right, if David Gordon Green made this and he hadn't made the films that he'd made previously, would anyone give a shit? Um, and also, also, it's part of this continuing micro-budget bullshit that um, Hollywood fucking, you know, quite big Hollywood directors, I mean, yes, he's not a fucking Spielberg or anything like that, but let's be honest, he's been given big movies over the past few years, you know, with um, Sitting Your Highness, you know, and Pineapple Express. You know, these have been fairly big movies for their scale releases. And for David Goyne to talk about going back to his, you know, his roots and all this slot, and it, oh, I'm making a movie on only $60,000. Like, sorry, you made a movie, uh, this movie costs $60,000. All right. Sorry. So, how much does Paul Rudd cost? to get in a movie because if you can make this movie and you can pay Paul Rudd's salary with $60,000 then I, I might try and make a movie what's what's scale what's what is scale I mean yeah scale's fair enough but that's a fucking hell of a scale that isn't it well yeah but, is that, but I mean that, it, it, he's it, done it because it's a, it, it because he's cast his friends which is fine but don't try and talk about you know you're making a micro budget movie um, and look at how, how wonderful it is and how free it is and it's getting released and these people are getting to see it and comparing yourself to other micro-budget filmmakers oh, I see. who are okay. making movies for around the same who don't have, you know, in, Paul Rudd in... as friends and who don't have a, a studio that's just fucking giving them money to make Your Highness and The Sitter and shit like that. Just saying that you can't compare yourself to those people and then cast who you've cast, and probably have I, a, a fucking a crew that you've borrowed off another film. I think he's probably just referring to the fact that he's maybe being left alone and being allowed to do what he wants to do. Like I don't, I, you know, the sitter. I don't think it, it exactly feels like a David Gordon Green film. Uh, completely, I don't think Your Highness feels like. I think Pineapple Express to an extent does, but I think that has got a lot of producer-mandated stuff as well. I think all he's referring to is the fact that he can kind of do what he wants to do and not have to worry about anyone, like, breathing down his neck. I understand what you're saying about the fact that, you know, if he was another, if he was a normal micro-budget person, you know, he wouldn't be able to cast Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch. I understand what you're saying there. I, I think it's probably just more the intent of it which is all very well and good, and I agree with you to an extent there, there is that. But it goes back to something very similar you said about Expendables, that 
David Gordon Green very much is the sort of director who is trying to have his cake and eat it as well. You know, he's yeah, in, in, in the fact that he's kind of saying, oh, I'd like to go back to this and do this and, and do this. And he'll probably do another couple of these movies now. But then if somebody said to him, oh, David, will you make Pineapple Express 2? And offered him a lot of money, he'd go, oh, fuck yeah. Um, guys, we'll do this movie in, in like 12 months' time, all right? He just seems like that kind of guy. Like he was very willing to go off and do these movies and say, "Well, it's not the movies I want to do; it's the movies I want to do." You know, I want to be making movies like Your Highness, and I want to be making movies like The Sitter. I don't want to be making those movies like I was making before. And now it's like, oh yeah, I want to be making these types of movies. You know, I, I want to be back in in that that bit where I can have my own freedom to do my own choices. I, I, and it's a bit like, I think he can be proud of his whole filmography, not I, just. I, I can see that, but. The way that he talks about the films that he's making is always. Okay, in, fa- in fairness, I don't have experience of he's that. Always, so. He's always defending that choice. That choice, and that choice, and that choice by saying, well, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want... And it just feels a little bit like it's fine, you can come out and say that, but he's still going to bounce on to the next fucking big paycheck. Well, I mean, like, his next film is playing Tiff. And it, apparently, it's the first actually really good Nicolas Cage performance in forever. Uh, is that Joe? Sure, yeah. So I mean, I, 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 I'm I, very, I'm very, very interested by. See, the thing is, I've liked a lot of his films, but you just don't like him, apparently. I know. I don't like. I don't like this current trend of filmmakers who've made big budget movies going off and, and and claiming that they're making micro-budget movies, but casting, you know, to an extent, virtual household names, and then trying to compare themselves to filmmakers who are making movies for around that budget and don't have um, the, the freedom of time that has been afforded them to people like David Conagree and to Joss Whedon as well with his Much Do About Nothing. And stuff like that. I, I find that a little bit, a little bit galling, to be honest. It's it, it's a little bit offensive to the filmmakers out there who have raised, you know, sixty thousand dollars is what forty thousand pounds. Who have raised sort of around that money and are making a film not over a short period without being able to tell anybody, but are making a film maybe over where they'll shoot it in, you know, <laughs> over a three month period. And then they'll have to save to be able to edit it. And then they'll have to do this. And they'll have to put it on video on demand because they just quite simply can't afford to put it out into cinemas. And all of these things. And it just, it, it feels a little bit like, it, it, it's, you know, you, you've done that, you've made it, you've gone past the point where you, where you had to do that. To come back and say, oh, well, I'm doing this to get back to my roots. It just seemed a little bit, a little bit offensive to those filmmakers who are working their fucking asses off and who are, you know, sometimes remortgaging their houses and stuff to make these movies. Yet now, this their movie might not get any attention on video on demand because David Gordon Green's got bored. Well, I, I would say, would these people? I don't think a direct one up against the other comparison is entirely fair. I mean, in the end of the day, these other smaller films are barely going to get a chance on VOD anyway. I mean, they might if they're lucky. Well, no, no, but, 
I think saying that Prince Avalanche is getting is getting press over a tiny tiny film. I think that's maybe a bit wrong. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not not saying that. What I'm saying is that he's trying to make out, and not just him. It, this is a more generalised point now. Is there are these filmmakers who are trying to make out that that's what they're doing, but they're not. They're faking it. They're faking these budgets. They're they're making it up. Uh, but they still try to put it across as I made this movie on blare amount of thousands of dollars. I made this movie on blare amount of thousands of dollars. It's like no, you didn't. It's 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 a fabrication. It's a lie. That might be the fucking budget that you that you will claim that it's cost, but it, it it's just a lie. And I find it a little bit you know if. You're, I'm not. But I mean, but, I mean, if all these people are working for like the, the the minimum they can get paid and then get points on the back end, maybe it only did cost the sixty thousand dollars. Oh, I think you lost me a second. I'm back. Okay. Uh, maybe it did only officially cost sixty thousand dollars, but that's because he hasn't had to pay his two lead actors. And you know, it's it, if you're gonna do that and you want to go back to your roots, cast two unknowns. Cast, if you, you know, if it's the film that you've got the what is it in? Cast two unknowns in this lead, in these lead roles. Go out, do auditions, and cast two completely unknown actors who you can give a really small fee to, and get them on the ladder because people are going to be interested in it because it's a David Gordon Green movie, and do that. Okay. But they don't, do they? They cast their friends who happen to be very recognisable names. It's for some reason it's just something that fucking winds me up at the moment, and there's too many of these uh, directors who are doing it. So you'd rather he do like a Steven Soderbergh, like do Bubble? Yeah. At least Steven Soderbergh had the balls to follow through what he was saying he was going to do. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I, maybe I, I I need to read a David Gordon Green interview where he says that wasn't what he was planning on doing. I I don't know. Well, no, I'm not. I'm, what was one of you? The fact that he hid the production of this. Yeah, but I mean, like, if it only costs like two weeks or whatever. I mean, I don't think he like. I mean, to what extent did he hide the production? No, it was all done in secret. He, he, you know, he, he asked people not. He asked the, the cast not to talk about it. Everything like that. It was just announced that he'd made the movie. Well, good for him. That's that's fine. I thought I've got nothing against that. I wish fucking more movies were done like that. But what I'm saying is, is it's the whole this idea of of this micro budget bullshit. It, for some reason, it just it's a real fucking wind up for me. It really, really pisses me off. I can tell because it's not a fucking micro budget. But it is. It is because you've not had to pay. If, if they had to pay Paul Rudd even fucking scale, it wouldn't have cost sixty fucking thousand dollars. It just wouldn't. It's bullshit. It is absolute nonsense. It, it really is. If the movie, if, the, if they'd even fucking said that it cost five hundred thousand dollars, it's the angriest you've ever been. I don't know why. It, it really fucking bugs me. I'm not even like a fucking small filmmaker or anything like that, and it probably don't bother them as much either. But for some reason, it just fucking bugs me. It really does. I don't fucking no one does it anymore. Definitely not shit. Um, <sighs> Just tell us it's shit. I don't, I, the thing is, I don't think it was shit. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm on a 
I want a not quite shit. <laughs> Best thing about the film. Oh, why do you hate things so much? <laughs> Best thing about the film. Paul Rudd's moustache was incredible. It was. But I didn't need to see Emil Hirsch in his pants. I did. <laughs> anyway, right. Oh, God. Going on to um, fucking Michael Bay's micro-budget fucking movie, for him. Are we, are we doing that before the Twitter oh, questions? Oh, no, we'll do Twitter we? questions. We'll do Twitter questions next. So we're gonna move Just to calm you down Twitter a questions. bit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't often get angry. Uh, right, I'm just I'm, I'm pulling up the Twitter questions. Did it? Did it? Right, Tom at Very Cinematic. Which football manager should direct a film, and what kind of film should it be? Arsene Wenger. A cold, four-hour-long, set in Greenland film <laughs> about two fishermen trying to catch a fish but they can't and it becomes an existential crisis for the both of them. I, I reckon he could do a good one on the financial crisis. Oh god could you imagine just like just constantly being like you've got to you've got to do this to save the company you have to press this button <laughs> and he's just like I it, 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 it's crazy money it's crazy money I, I, I just need the value. I can do it. I, I just need the value for money. I, I develop in the house and I... I, I no. No, no. <laughs> I will not spend any money. It's silly money. I, I will not spend it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for... Um, oh, that's a fucking good question. I'm trying to think of what of what medical... What, who would make a good one? Who would make a really fucking good movie? Manuel Pellegrini making a film called The Sophomore Slump. <laughs> That'd work. Um, I, I'd like to see um, Sam Allardyce uh, making a, a, a rough Cockney gangster movie. That would make sense. Or Harry Redknapp. Oh, no, I, I'd like Harry Redknapp to make a documentary um, about how to do your taxes. That would be good. Um, I... Uh, and I will just say, just give this some context. Um, Cardiff beat Man City 3-1 earlier today. 3-2. Glorious. 3-2. Uh, Fuck, I keep on thinking it was 3-1. 3-2. Which, which is is quite a shock result. It's fucking amazing. It is, I it is pretty impressive. Cardiff City Centre, trust me, will be rough as shit tonight. Oh, a bank holiday Sunday and Cardiff beat Man City. I would not go any fucking where near Cardiff City Centre if you paid me tonight. <laughs> I wonder how depressed Noel is right now. Uh, he, he was in fucking Hamleys buying toys while it was on. He was, wasn't he? Yeah, he didn't go to that casino. Oh, that's right, from last yeah. year, yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, right, uh, another question um, from Thomas DeGere, uh, Nocturne uh, Tom DeGere on Twitter. The 60s was littered with actresses who did a scant few films then retired. Which one do you wish had a longer career? I haven't got a fucking clue. I actually have one for this. Go on. Uh, bear me t- I can't remember her name though. And watch it. I'm gonna fucking. I'm gonna check on this one, Artie, and find out that she's been in fucking loads. 
No, she was in the two films that I thought she was. Uh, Megan McCormick, uh, who was in Greetings and um, Coming Apart. Greetings, the um, Brian De Palma film. Uh, the excellent Brian De Palma film. Um, and Coming Apart film with uh, Rip Torn. Well, that makes sense. Coming Apart played by Rip, uh, with Rip Torn. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow! And if you know, if you if you knew what that film was about, that would make even more sense. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that would be mine. Uh, any that you can throw out there, or any just general doesn't have to be from the sixties. Any sort of person you remember seeing in a couple of films and wish made more. Samantha Mathis. Yeah, she she kind of did just drop off a little bit, didn't she? Um, just because I found her quite cute. Um, she was she was brilliant that. in Pump Up the Volume. I've not seen Pump Up. Oh my! I've seen Gleaming the Cube, but I've not seen Pump Up the Volume. Gleaming the Cube is a fucking great movie. (laughs) Honestly, Pump Up the Volume is an incredible movie, and I'm not just saying that. I genuinely think it is an incredible movie, and it's not one of those that I think it's an incredible movie. The rest of the world thinks shit either. You sure? I am absolutely positive about that one. Um, Have you seen Empire Records? Yeah. Uh, Directed written by the same guy, Alan Moyle. Um, oh, okay. But it's it's you know like the punchier parts of um, Empire Records. That's yeah. more what Pump Up the Volumes like. And essentially, it's Christian Slater doing a lot of talking about teenage angst and stuff like that. And you know, Christian Slater, early nineties, just talking was just magnificent and wonderful. Honestly, Pump sure. the Volume is a is a is a brilliant film. Yes, my plan. Uh, I'm just going to leave it there, I think. Sorry. Yeah. Cool. Right. Uh, only two seconds. We have got a couple more. Uh, David um, Brighton, uh, who is Ikebagalong, I think. Ikebagalong. I'm going to go with. Sorry if that if, if, if our mispronunciation of your Twitter handle uh, seems offensive. It's not. Um, so, and his question is, will flops like the Lone Ranger ever get reassessed in their own right once the dust has settled, as um, films like Heaven's Gate have? Um, so basically, I think the question there is, you know, is will sort of big flops um, ever get sort of reassessed? Um, the thing is... I, I, I think in terms of in in the kind of the film in the film culture, I think social media is good enough at kind of showing that there are enough people even at the time who consider like flops like The Lone Ranger to be good films. Mm. Like I, I've seen a number of of, of people um, who like The Lone Ranger. And to be honest, I mean like UK reviewers were actually pretty kind to The Lone Ranger. Yeah, I, I think there was a couple out there that were particularly nasty about it. But the overall, on a more broader level, I think you know, like you say UK reviewers were a lot kinder than than um, US reviewers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think apart from films that are flops because they're shit, I, I think films get reassessed or, or given love quite quickly these days. I mean, like, John Carter... That's a prime example, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a fair bit of love for John Carter on online. Mm. 
Um, and I mean, like, I, I, frankly, I mean, I was I was there from day one. Like, I, you know, you could you could see my letterboxed if you want for John Carter. I have always liked John Carter. I've seen it uh, four times, and it holds up so very very well for me. Um, and, and yeah, I, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting one. Um, but I think yeah, these days. It, they they just they get reassessed quickly enough, I think. Yeah, I think you know historically, I think because without sort of um, like you say, without social media, it, it took longer for presumed flops to to kind of come back round a little bit. Um, but I think nowadays they they do get reassessed sort of quite quickly, or they develop a, a, a sort of passionate fan base. John Carter is the prime example for that. You know, there are a lot of very staunch backers of John Carter who say, you know, that it it, it was ridiculous how much it got panned. Um, there are occasionally just films out there that are just shit. Um, that that bombed, um, and you know that they deserve to get bombed. I mean, for instance, something like The Adventures of Pollute of Earl Nash. That's just a shit film, uh, and it, yeah, it, sure. that'll never get reassessed because no matter what happens, that will always be a shit film. And no people, no amount of people will watch it that will think it's good, that will ever convince anybody else that it's a shit film. Whereas yeah. John Carter wasn't a shit film. I actually really enjoyed John Carter. Things like yeah. Sahara, which is considered, you know, which was a massive flop, lost loads of money. It, it, it's not actually a bad film. Um, there are one speed racer. I love Speed Racer. I don't. I, I. I. haven't seen that many people actually say they didn't like it. Still didn't make any fucking money. Yeah. Um. So it is all a bit. It's very. The media will tell you what's a flop. Whether it's a flop or not, Waterworld still gets described as being one of the biggest flops of all time. When actually that film's, you know, it broke even. Years ago, I mean that. I mean, like, if you use the example that you used there when you said about Heaven's Gate, you know, critically, I mean, Heaven's Gate was was ravaged mm. at, at the time of release, as everybody knows. And the thing is, though, if you know, if if the sheer number of film critics that there are out there, both professional and unprofessional, were were like, like that, that are out there now, were out there at the time of yeah. Heaven's Gate. Then I, I, you know, I think the story on that would have been different because, yeah, when when we say flop these days, it, it's commercial. It's not it's not critical. It's all about the box office. And often it's all about um, opening weekend now. You know. Yeah, well, yes, quite, quite. I mean, like, I mean, like, you look at. Um, I mean, I mean, to give an example of this weekend, I mean, like you look at your next in in the US, and I mean that's done that on the shelf for two years, riding a massive wave of buzz, like a, like a massive wave of buzz going uh, going over those two years, and it comes out and it makes seven million dollars in, in in its opening weekend, which isn't a disastrous amount of money, but it isn't that good. And I can and like I mean, Christ, what's what's Deadline saying already? Let's let's take a look at what Deadline's saying. Um, Come 
your ah uh, right, they haven't really done full analysis yet. Your next is number six and only. Oh no, that doesn't really work. Um, I don't. Ah, fuck, it, it's just hard. But I mean, like, it, it's you know, you go on Deadline.com, uh, Nikki Fink's blog, blog, and like when they do the box office every week, they'll say straight away so many other or other tanks with something or other, you know, and that will be that will be the lingering impression that people um that that. Yeah, and people come away mm. with it. It's not the it's not the quality of the film, but I I I, I mean that that's only if you're not a film fan. Yeah, I mean the, the amount of things where people say, oh well, that was a flop, and then you actually say to them, was it? Well, it made yeah. it it made this much money. You know, it, that's that's not a flop. A flop. I mean, you know, there is, and we always go on about it. There's a perceived notion that if you're a big blockbuster film, you've got to make double your budget. To, to break even, to be considered, you know, to have broken even. And if you if you make under your budget, you're a flop. You know, that is the kind yeah. of the perceived nature. But it seems now that if you don't make, you know, plus 500 million, you're a flop. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's all gone a little bit crazy. I mean, something like, for instance, After Earth can be considered very much a, a flop. You know, that movie cost $130 million, but it's still nearly made double that. You know... It, How much was it? Uh, 240 million, I think, it's made now. Worldwide. After us, made 240 Worldwide, million. Yeah. Really. But, it, but it's considered to be a flop. Yet, it hasn't been released on DVD and Blu-ray anywhere yet, I don't think, is it? And... Yeah, it's no. It'll probably be starting yeah. in the next couple of months. So it's still got that home media coming. That film will make double its budget, which, if we're led to believe, and what we're always you know told, and what is very much not just that's not just a blogosphere thing. You know that is a perceived notion that that's roughly if, if that happens, then you can consider it. It's made its money back. Another one that's considered a flop, uh, Pacific Rim. You know, mm. but. When you go from that, the budget was around 190 million. But when you take in the fact that tax breaks took it to about 150 million, the film's made nearly 400 million dollars. I mean, I mean, like you look at the, you look at your next. I mean, I'm looking at this now. It was predicted to open at the very least 10 million, and it's done 7 million. So it's like the story's going to be kind of told on that that film before it even really gets a chance out. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, what did how much did your next? I mean, your next can't cost that much. We must have a production budget. It must have been maximum. I mean, I don't fucking Wingard film. It can't cost more than twenty-five million maximum. I would say it's probably on. Oh, that, that would yeah, that would be around, pushing it. I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm very very curious to see it. Um, but it, it must That's be around sort of the, the, the twelve fifteen million maximum. I'd say one. Yeah, yeah, quite. You know, so and and these type of movies, stuff like Your Next, doesn't you know what it does is it makes back its budget at the cinema. And then makes any profit, you know, on VOD, on international TV rights, on Blu-ray and on DVD and stuff like that. And that's where these movies make their money back. Mm. You know, and it's it's the forgotten thing. Eighteen is another prime example, considered a massive, massive flop. Um, And, you know, ridiculously, because it's a wonderful film. But um, you know that cost 110 million, made just shy of 180 million, but was a phenomenally well-selling DVD and Blu-ray. 
you know, at the yeah. time, one of the biggest selling Blu-rays of the time. And it's, you know, it, it's very much, you know, um, who was it? Was it, was it Universal? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think no, it's Fox, wasn't it? It's Fox, yeah, it's Fox. Um, and Fox, you know, they, they claim, yeah, that it's it, it made back, it, it, it did turn a profit. Was it Fox? Yes. Oh. Yeah, distributed by 20th Century Fox, yeah. Okay. You know, it did it did make a profit, not enough of a profit to get us a fucking sequel, but it made enough of a profit, um, for you know, for it to have made a profit. So it, I think there's, there's 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 the perception of what's a flop and what actually is a flop are two very different things. I mean, for instance, one of the biggest flops of all time is the Thirteenth Warrior, yet nobody ever mentions it as a generalization of a flop, yeah. because it was such a flop that no one gives a shit. I bet, I, sorry, I'm still looking at you. I'm still looking at you next. Um, and, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so like Thompson on Hollywood on IndieWire is call, calling it a modest performance, which is um, yeah, actually seven seven yeah, half million okay. is, is a modest performance. And what was it up against? Um, World's End, Mortal Instruments. Is he, That's about it. I mean, it, it, they're not big films, but I, I could see the usual audience for your next going to see World's End instead. I could see them vying, you know. If, it's if you, it's a bit audience splitting. If you were to draw like two it. circles around the audience demographic, there would be a crossover in those two films. Yeah, fair enough. That's yeah, that's uh, I don't know. That's interesting. God, fucking hell, The World's End was only $20 million. Yeah. That's actually made me think a bit more about that film, I must say. that That's that's really impressive. Yeah, that was... That was anyway. Uh, last question, I think, yeah. Um, was uh, is from Fixated On, uh, also known as Steve Cull, also known as Steve Shooter, uh, oh, who right. asks, uh, what film are you most looking forward to this summer and what have you actually enjoyed the most? What film ha- was I most looking yep. forward to? And what what, oh. what what did you enjoy the most? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I was most looking forward to Pacific Rim. I enjoyed the most... Iron Man 3. Which was the first one. Right. Well, mine's, mine's strange. Uh, I was most looking forward to Iron Man 3, and I've still not watched it. <laughs> uh, although I've got it to watch. Uh, yeah. and I've been wanting to watch it for a week but uh, Becky keeps saying oh no I want to watch that as well and I'm like alright brilliant brilliant I've got to watch two first haven't I little bit yeah no no you she don't not. does she not, did not... mate ser- like seriously Donna like just stopped paying attention after half an hour of Iron Man 2 and she was fine with Iron Man 3 I like Iron Man 2 <laughs> I, 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 I'm fine with Iron Man 2 but like seriously uh, like you, you do not need to oh, have right, seen well, Iron well, Man well, 2 well, well, has she seen the Avengers? Yes. Yeah, she'll be fine cool. then. Like the only the only like takeaway from it is uh Tony Stark went through that wormhole and now he's a bit shitted up. That that that's pretty much it. Cool. Right, well probably watching that. So that was what I was most looking forward to. What I've enjoyed the most so far, uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah, fair play. I mean like the Pacific Rim was one of my one of my better films of the summer. I think it's generally been a bit of a eh, summer myself. There's um, not been anything I think that none of the big summer movies 
are going to make into a lot of people's top tens. None of none of them will make it into mine. None of Pacific them. Rim might make it into mine. I, Iron Man three is probably top twenty. I would say actually for sure top twenty, maybe even top fifteen. But there is not a chance any of the summer films will will be up there for me. Mm. Uh, I think that is all of our questions. I think. Have you got any more? Uh, no, the email, it. so no emails. I know you naughty, naughty people. You should send us emails. Fuckers. Yes, so we're gonna do that now. Any feedback to the show? Dude and the monkey at gmail dot com or at dude and the monkey at dudefoz at Ian Loring on Twitter. Um, and here is a clip from the trailer to Pain and Gain, which is our final review of the evening. Hot. I'm big. No, no. My name is Daniel Lugo, and I believe in fitness. All this began because it was time to push myself harder. Oh, there you go, yes! Otherwise, I was looking at another 40 years of wearing sweatpants to work. Mr. Dobble, are you currently using steroids? I think they messed me up. Don't worry, that's what we specialize in here. Penis magic. I'm a self-made man. I made a lot of money. Maybe yourself ought to spend some of it on a salad. You know who invented salad? Poor people. Hey, but just get tired of being where you are, Adrian. No, I kind of like it here. I mean, a weight's a noodle. I mean, in life, man. When's the last time you paid your rent when it was due? I got a plan to change that. Where'd you do your time, pal? Up north. How you fixed for a job now? You just can't kidnap a guy and take his things. That's so illegal. Sure we can. Victor Kershaw is a criminal prick who deserves bad stuff to happen to him. We go through with this, nobody gets hurt, right? <laughs> oh man, we snatch him. There he is! We grab him, signs a few signatures. We give him a protein shake. You don't even know what happened. I watched a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. The Sun Jim gang has successfully acquired every asset you had. What happens now? Now I go to work. I know it does. That's it. Get it. You said no violence. And I meant it when I said it. I swear to God. I cannot kill. Duly noted. Look, when this is over, we'll all go camping. All right? Okay. Cool. Right. Uh, that was a trailer from Pain and Gain, which is... Michael Bay's uh, non-franchise-related return to real directing, I think we could call it. Um, the film is based on the um, true story of the um, Sun Jim gang, um, who were a gang of bodybuilders who kidnapped and extorted rich people out of money. Uh, the film stars Matt Wahlberg, 
Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Anthony Mackie, and a whole host of others crop up. And Ian, what did you think of Pain and Gain? I'm going to preface this. I watched the first half of Pain and Gain on my birthday night while um, partway through drinking an entire bottle of Jack Daniels in about seven hours. So you feel that. So it wasn't cool the day after. I like sit like seriously. That's actually put me off heavy drinking for the foreseeable. Um, so I was really, 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 really drunk during the first half of the film. I watched the um, I watched the second half uh, the next day. I I think Pain and Gain is a film where. Michael Bay shows us that he knows what everyone thinks of him and he kind of agrees. And it almost... I imagine Michael Bay directing this like Paul Schrader writing The Last Temptation of Christ or Hardcore, where he kind of hates himself. And... But in, in Michael with Michael Bay, I think it's more a subconscious in the back of his head, he doesn't realise it kind of a mm. way. And you've got this film that is a nightmare, but is a really, really funny and really entertaining nightmare that feels like... It feels like Catholic guilt, <laughs> but transferring Catholic guilt to guilt about the American dream. And I'm going to give Michael Bay credit because I think he does know what he's doing. And I think it's a little bit brilliant, if too long. Um, I, I agree that I, I think Bay very much knows what he's doing. And in a way, he's almost trying to kind of to prove to people that he is he's more than just the the, the explosions in the Transformers movies um, and I think almost in a way he's trying to prove to himself a little bit as well that maybe he he still has an eye as a director because what I always get from the Transformers movies um, is that he kind of directs the bits in between the big monster fights and then he goes to the effects guy, says, on that guy, you know, the, the blue and the red guy uh, do that, and I want that guy to do that. And then when they show him it, he goes, yeah, it looks cool. And that's it. I, I get the feeling that, I get the feeling, whether or not that is, or not, I don't know. But I get the feeling that that's as much as he gives a shit about what that looks like. As long as it looks cool, he's happy. Um, whereas with this, it's more him been able to actually it, it it's clear that the idea of of these characters uh, of what happened with these characters interested him i don't think the actual story of these characters interests him that much because he's changed a lot i mean dwayne johnson's character is an amalgamation of four or five different people oh, so really? he, he's changed he's changed a lot of it this isn't a, a, a true representation of these these events. I think, like you've pointed out very, you know, very shrewdly there, is that this is more Mark Wahlberg 
as a matter of Michael Bay looking at the American dream eating itself. Yeah. Um, and it, it's very much like that. In a similar way as De Palma and Stone looked at it with Scarface. In that it's just, it's it's that idea of building wealth and it ended up becoming an obsession. And I think that, I, that that's, that's what this becomes. He, he wants, you know, Mark Wahlberg's character, you know, he, he thinks that as soon as he gets money, you know, that he's entitled to this money. I, I will just say, I love that, that comparison to Scarface there, I think is interesting as well, because Scarface is, is you know, that film that all the, like, all the hip-hop yeah, artists... Yeah, it's probably like, his like, favourite film. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, like, I, was, I re-watched Green Vapors yesterday, and, you know, James Franco's character is saying, I got Scarface, Scarface on repeat! Repeat! Look at all my shit! Look at all my shit! You know, I, I, it's just, oh, brilliant. Um, but, you know, that whole kind of thing of, like, them, uh, of people misunderstanding the point of Scarface, yes, very much but so. it entertaining them. I can't help but think Pain and Gain is a bit like that as well, yeah. where he is... You know, he's doing this. He knows what he's doing and he knows it's going to appeal to people who want to see the girls and the guns and, you know, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But there's a deeper thing to it as there was with Scarface, you know, and I, I think it almost, almost makes me think maybe there's some sort of subversive value commenting on the blockbuster going on with Transformers uh, Dark, I, uh, Dark of the I Moon. I think that there might be a little bit, like Bay is going, do you know what? The, the people who saw Transformers and your general blockbuster going public will come and see this movie because if I make it look flashy enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they'll like it, but they won't like it for the reasons that I want people to like it for. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, it makes me think that that moment in Revenge of the Fallen, where it's revealed that the Transformer has those giant testicles, those giant swinging balls, yeah. that he's in on... Maybe he's in on the joke and he's laughing at the fact that people are watching this. I, without question think that Michael Bay is in on the joke. I think he's too smart a guy. I know we're saying that he's too smart a guy. He's the guy who gave us those movies. But let's be honest, he's he's almost like a Simon Cowell of movies. Sure. You know, he, he will freely admit that the majority of movies he makes or that he produces are shit, but he will tell you how much money they've made. Whilst at the same time, he's so good at the craft of it all. Not even the craft of making a good movie. You know, he's never going to make a There Will Be Blood or anything like that. But if you gave him There Will Be Blood and gave him that script, he'd make it. It'd be a shit film, but it'd make a fuck ton of money. Yeah. It's that thing. I just... It makes me wonder. It does make me wonder what. I mean, like, did you see that photo? That, that photo from the, the set of Transformers Four that came out like the other day. No, I right. Think, I'm, I'm I just. Think I... No, I didn't actually. No, I didn't. I want to. I want to. I want to show you this because this just makes. I mean, pain and gain, and this image make me wonder if he's. If he's going to develop. 
If, it, if I mean, if he is completely self-aware and he is way smarter than everyone's figured he is, right? Oh, give me two seconds. Let's just have a wee little look. Look at Michael Bay in this photo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right, so if anyone hasn't seen this... It's a bunch of like the cast and crew, like Mark Wahlberg and Jack uh, Jack um, uh, uh, Rayner uh, are, are there, and there's Michael Bay in this white shirt doing a hero pose yes. with <laughs> like, a, a, like headphones, yeah, with a baseball cap on and headphones round his neck. I wonder. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what the thing is about Michael Bay is he's made some fucking just absolutely awful films, and he's produced some awful films. You know, Pearl Harbor's a piece of shit. I hated Bad Boys 2. You know, he's responsible for remakes of Texas Chainsaw, Amityville, The Hitcher, uh, Friday the 13th, right? And A Nightmare on Elm Street. He was also involved in that I Am Number 4. Um, but you kind of get the feeling that he might be quite a, a, a cool guy to go for a beer with. I, yeah, I just... Like, like, I like, am like, really intrigued. Yeah, like, like, like he, he'd pay for everything, which would be really nice, but he'd constantly be telling you in a really kind of fun way that the reason why he was paying for it and you weren't is because he's richer than you. But you mm, wouldn't mm. care because he'd, be st- he'd still be quite interesting to talk to. He, he, he comes across as being a bit of a dick. Dick, yeah, totally. he's a smart dick. I, yeah, I, I but I mean, going, going, going back to the, really is. yeah, I mean, it's it's hilarious. But I mean, the the thing is, after pain and gain, I think he's in on the, I I do think he's in on the joke. Even when you look at the casting of pain and gain, you know, I mean, Matt Wahlberg, Anthony Mackie, and Dwayne Johnson are pretty much perfectly cast for this movie. Um, they're they're almost too obvious castings. Um. But then, you know, he's cast Rob Cordry, Kenny Young, um, and Tony Shaw as well, and Rebel Wilson. These these are comedic actors. Uh, they're all comedians. Um, but well, I mean, he he does this though with like the, with the Transformers films. I mean, they're a little bit of a who's who of Cohen brothers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Francis McDormand's in them. Uh, John Turturro is there. Um, there's, there's, there's other ones littered around. I, John Malkovich. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's... He, he can spot a good actor. He just puts shit mm. film. But I don't think it's a shit film. I think it's a film where um, it, it has so much excess and ridiculousness of it. And it's almost... It's pointing at these people and saying, look how fucking stupid this man is. And the fact that it's... Listen, this will work. I've seen a lot of movies. And yeah. it, it, it's that that kind of I know how to do a bank robbery because I've seen loads of bank robbery movies, and it's that type of thing, you know. It, and it, they're all, you know the fact that every everybody in this film is a fucking arsehole and a fucking idiot. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of it... one, Ed Harris. Yeah, totally. I mean, he, yeah, he is. Yeah, I I I I think that's that that's fair. I mean, I, I don't. Know, I mean, I think Anthony Mackie's character obviously he does some pretty bad things, but 
he kind of seems a little bit like the innocent of the three. Yeah. Like, I was surprised how into it the Rock's character got. Yes. Actually, you know, which is hilarious. Yeah, the great, uh, like where he's doing the neighbourhood watch thing, and he's just behind yeah. the thing, just shoveling coke up his nose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I... The turbot. Oh, yeah, so he's amazing. I mean, I, I, I've got to say, I'm really, really tempted to watch this again. I would watch it again because Becky wants to watch it, and I want to. They're, they're again. You look at that. You look at the amount of Cohen. Um, actors that um, Bear likes to cast, and then the tour thing. Yeah, I mean it yeah. wasn't just me who who saw a reference to the Big Lebowski in that. Sure. Um, it, the thing is, is at the moment there's a there's a this is this has been a hugely divisive film. People either really like, and I'm on the point of I really liked this film. I got thoroughly Sorry. on board with it. I know Noel as well loved it. Yeah. Um, and then you have people who fucking hated it. Yeah, I know Stuart Barr. Stuart Barr uh, absolutely hated it. Like he he thinks it's like genuinely offensive. Yeah. And and yeah, he, he, yeah sorry, he's God. not the only person. I was literally just before we started um, doing this review, I was reading a tweet. I'm just trying to find it. Bear me two seconds. Uh, from oh fuck, gone too far. Uh, from Magic Rat Movies, um, aka oh, yeah. um, MR Movie, uh, on Twitter. Um, mm. who's thoroughly great guy. Um, I'll read you, I'll read you his tweet review of it. Uh, <laughs> Pain and gain bears vulgar excesses on steroids, loud. Prejudicial, uh, overstylized, and devoid of subtlety, uh, immensely crass, hateful, horse shit. Pain and Gain trivializes true story of kidnap, torture, and murder by evapid visuals and ham-fisted farce. A film is meat-headed as its protagonist. I don't think I've genuinely hated a film as much as Pain and Gain since the equally vile, vapid, and offensive Keith Lemon film, Gutter Cinema. Right now, the first the first tweet was Pain and Gain bears vulgar excess on steroids. Loud, like, was that bit right? I can't disagree with a single word there. But, but, it, it, but it's the point. I, I liked it because of all those things. Um, and his, his point that he, he makes, which is a perfectly valid point, uh, and I'm not picking on him, so if you are listening to this, I'm not picking on you, don't worry. Um, but there, I've seen a lot of people saying the same thing, of it, it trivialising uh, the actual true story by making, essentially, a, a, a crime caper comedy out of this, this true story, because people were you know, this is a fairly recent story, you know, it only happened in the mid-90s um, and people, you know, were murdered by these guys, you know, lives were destroyed by this and then somebody's come along and made a comedy film about it. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Should that, should we judge the film outside of those things or should those things be taken into account when, when judging this type of film? I don't think the film is about the torture and the murder, though. I don't think that's Bay's point. I think Bay's point is looking at the American dream yeah. and how it's all corrupting. Mm. And uh, a know? lot of people are, are trying to say that, or, or I, I, I say, not trying to say, I say uh, that Bay tries to um, play these characters and try to generate sympathy 
for these characters. I I I don't see I that at all. I do not how I do not see how you are sympathetic towards these characters at all. I mean, to in a small way, Anthony Mackie for me, just because he seems to which is, which is, he seems to show some remorse. Which is quite strange because um, Anthony Mackie's the character he's based on was actually the most vicious and vile one of the lot of them. That's that's you know, he was but, I mean, he was the guy who who you know who the idea of hacking up the body parts. You know he was the guy who arranged um, for, you know the, the porn guy to take on him yeah. and all this, and it wasn't to get money for his dick drugs. It was just because he was a greedy twat, and apparently he was quite a he was quite a aggressively violent person in general. Well, I mean, okay, so uh, in, in taking it, that, that's where I think that. That Bay has almost taken this story and got inspiration, and has kind of taken the key elements of this story and told it, but has has taken away the characters and created new characters out of these characters. And that's what saying is, is why I don't think he's as interested with what's happened, but their reasonings for why they did it. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I think. Uh, but yes, exactly, exactly that. And I don't know. I mean, it, that's interesting though about Mackie's character. You see, I didn't know that. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, it's all done with such like a hyper stylized way that even so though the film, the top, yeah, yeah, the fact that I mean, even though the film keeps on bashing it in your face, this is still a true story. Yeah. I it still feels hyper real to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it does, and it's I I, I personally have any. Um, any sympathy at all for any of the characters whatsoever? No, no, not really. No. Um, I, you know, I hoped that they all got their their comeuppance. Um, they were all quite reprehensible characters, but that doesn't mean to say that I didn't gain some fun out of the movie. Um, and is that making light of the actual true story? Um, possibly, yeah. And is that wrong? Maybe. But it, it, it's one of those things where if people don't like that and don't want to do it, I'm fine. I'm not going to argue that they're wrong. I don't think they are wrong. It, but sure. it's the it's the Polanski thing. You know, yeah. is yeah, it yeah, wrong yeah. to fucking to watch and like a Polanski movie when you know what a vile and reprehensible human he actually is? Yeah. So does that mean I can only watch Polanski movies that he made before we found out it was a vile and reprehensible human? Or sure, and I watch after. It all boils down to that. There's no, I don't think there's a right and wrong kind of answer. There's just different um, people's interpretation of of morality, I suppose. And neither yeah. neither side's right. I'm not right, and those other people, I don't think they're right. They're right to have their opinion, and they're right in their <laughs> opinion, and I'm right to have my opinion, and I'm right in my opinion. But I'm not going to disagree with either. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. I mean, you've just got to judge the film on on what the film itself is doing. And like we've said, it's the main point of it is not to tell. Even though I mean, the film doesn't help itself by the fact it says this is a true story all the way through. But its point is the American dream, the corrupt, uh, the corrupting nature of the American dream, and how even Michael Bay himself has been corrupted by the American dream. You know, there could be some catharticism coming out of this movie. 
Yeah, I genuinely think there is. Um, which I think part of the reason is why the, the, this movie kind of got, you know, its UK release has been dumped a little bit. At the yeah, yeah I mean, it's like, you know it's it's bizarre what the how late it, like how much after it it, it, it was really the whole is. UK marketing is bizarre. I mean, have you seen the TV spots for it? Um, no. If Ted got you high, this will get you pumped. That that's that's yeah. that, that's, a, that's a genuine. That is what he said during the UK TV spot. They've just got to get bums on seats, well, they, though, haven't just, they? It, I mean, when they said that, I thought well, the, the only link this film has to Ted is the fact that it stars Matt Wahlberg. But, yeah, I mean, no, that, that's it. It's some fucking publication. I imagine it's nuts or something like that, frankly. Yeah, I, I, do you know what? I think it was actually Zoo magazine, I think. They, See, there you that, go. That's so the type of publication. Stuff like Zoo and Nuts and The Sun that will champion all the stuff that that is surface level with this movie. And... But... What's the point in doing a TV ad saying Michael Bay's made well, that, a, yeah. a great cathartic, etc., etc.? You know, you may as well do the Mark Wahlberg Ted Association. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I don't care if this movie makes money. I don't care if this movie is considered a success. I'm not championing this movie to anybody. I'm not going to suggest people watch this movie. But I really, really I liked this movie. I am. I will. I will you know, be very I mean, selective of, of, of who I suggest watch this movie. For instance, I if mean, you hadn't seen this movie or no, I hadn't seen this movie, I'd be saying fucking seriously, watch it. It's brilliant. But I won't be saying to uh, my mum, watch this movie. You'll fucking love it. Yeah, I mean, I I I had a Twitter a, a letterboxed conversation with um someone who was basically saying they couldn't believe the score I was giving it. Essentially, because it was Pain and Gain starring The Rock and Mark Wahlberg. And the thing is, I, I would recommend it to people because I think it's worth saying with the context of think about what Michael Bay is actually saying with this film. I, I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I think it would be very interesting to see what Kermode says about it when, when he I will hear it. Because he'll hate, yeah, he'll hate, he'll hate it. I, I, I am a big fan of Mark Kerwin. I think, you know, his book's brilliant. I think as a movie reviewer, movie critic, I think he's fantastic. But there are occasionally films where you can, where, you know, from knowing what, what he's, he, he has a very specific film sense. It, it'll be interesting to find out the reasons why he hates it. And, and the thing is, I, I, I think, it might be because he doesn't think Bay's capable of doing anything else, which I almost think is a fair comment. But it, to, I mean, to an extent, but I just I can't help but think maybe he is just very, very savvy. I mean, like the fact is, he said to Paramount, I'm not doing Transformers 4 unless you let me make pain and gain. You know, which I have huge respect for him. And for. also, as well, they gave him a budget of twenty-five million as well. And it, yeah, I got twenty-six and million. Spent 26. It wouldn't surprise me if if he purposefully went over budget just to be a cunt. Yeah, 
Well, the thing is, you never hear of, uh, of Michael Bay doing that. You never no, hear I, I of think, him going over with, budget. You never hear of him film. on set having problems. Sorry? He had problems, he's had problems with, with, with some actors. <laughs> on on set, though? Or is this after? Didn't he have like, several on set? I mean, it, that, this could just be the actress, but he didn't have several on set issues with um, Megan Fox, which is probably more well, her fault than it was his, let's be honest. But, well, yeah, I mean, like, she bitched about him after yeah. the fact. But I don't... I, I, oh, think, he, during... he, I think he's, he's a studio dream director. Well, yeah, I mean, like, him and Brett Ratner and, like, the guy who did the Mortal Instruments and the Karate Kid remake, Harold Zwartz, they are, and, like, Sean Levy, they're people who just, who make the films and bring them in on budget and on schedule. John Turtletow. And you can, you, you can, sorry. John Turtletow. Yeah, yeah, John Turtletow, exactly. You compare them to someone like Terry Gilliam, <laughs> you know, who... Has, he kind of does I mean like uh, frankly I respect Terry Gilliam more than I respect Sean Levy or John Tolton yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that but he almost it almost feels like when he's making his films he has to live up to his reputation mm. and he almost has to be difficult for being difficult sake and because he's an artist and he must express himself yeah. and I, I think that sometimes there is something to be said for being someone who can get a budget, agree on a budget, agree on a shooting schedule, start the film, end the film, and still have something to say. You know, and, and almost not make the headlines and, and not have this tortured soul character. I mean, I, I'll say something now. Pain and gain... Or, or say, I don't know, the Brothers Grimm. Mm. Or maybe, maybe, maybe Gilliam's new film, Zero Theorem, where, you know, he's working with a low budget and he's having problems and he doesn't know what he's going to be able to do from one day to the next. Yeah. yeah. I, I have to wonder. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely, completely agree with that. Well, I, like, I think it's... I think this film is, is being judged... It's being before, judged on prior reputation. Yeah, it's it's, before it's people, walking in with expectations. Um, and I'll be honest, I you know, I enjoy almost all of you know since Dwayne the Rock Johnson became Dwayne Johnson and he kind of dropped the Rock thing. Um, I've enjoyed most of his films. You know, he's made some. You know, there's been the odd one, but since really since Scorpion King, you know, and stuff like that. Maybe since, like I said, 2005 was around when he dropped the rock thing and tried to start being Dwayne Johnson, you know, more an actor in his own right. You know, he's thrown a few kind of like, you know, I don't think you can judge Planet 51 and Tooth Fairy against other stuff because they were were ones to get his name built up. In saying that, though, Planet 51 is actually quite an entertaining movie, to be honest. Um, and I didn't hate, hate the Tooth Fairy. You know, it's a shit film, but I didn't hate it anywhere near as much as something like The Pacifier, for instance. Sure. But you know, he's chosen quite well. You know, having small roles and like the other guys, and I really enjoyed Faster and his work in Fast Five and stuff like that. You know, he's quite an entertaining presence. He's he's made that jump from being a wrestler to being a bona fide movie star now. Yeah. Quite well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And Wahlberg is, I mean, he's on a fucking roll at the moment. 
Yeah, I, I, it's um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like Mark Wahlberg's doing doing some great, a uh, great work in this. Actually, well, um, overall, Wahlberg's been pretty fucking consistent since Departed. You know, yeah, The Happening, Lovely Bones, about the only real kind of blights within it, and he's mm. been pretty fucking. He's done a lot of movies. Well, yeah, that's true. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of what else. I mean, I, I mean, I will, I, I will say it is too. It long. is too long. Yeah, it, it, it's a good sort of 15, 20 minutes too long. It gets a little uh, bit too. I think it, it, the Tony Shalhoub um, being held captive bit goes on for too long. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, you kind of you do want it to be kind of kicking on a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and the, yeah. the them enjoying the uh, riches bit goes on a little bit too long. Even though that, like the the him kind of setting up the neighborhood watch and being a good neighbor kind of stuff, I I quite enjoyed all that yeah, stuff he, actually. He, he, but... him teaching the kids to play basketball was brilliant. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, fucking yeah, absolutely. I, I get I get the feeling that that is what Mark Wahlberg would actually be like. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, pain and gain. It's definitely not shit from me. Um, yeah, oh god, yeah, 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 yeah. If anyone says to me, "Oh, they thought it was shit," it will get a fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you know what? Yes, I can see all the reasons. Every reason why you're giving me that it was shit is right, but they are all reasons why I probably really liked it. I I would disagree with that somewhat, just because I would say, well, it, yeah. all right, all right, those reasons, but have you considered this? this? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is, is I I I don't think it's about the characters. I think it's about the events that happen. I don't think it's about the events that it's based on. I think it's about the American dream sure. aspect of it. Sure. But a lot of the time, I find it now is that. If somebody hates a film so much, and I like it as much as I like Pain and Gain, it's not a film that I want to bump heads to with people, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's exactly because it. Yeah. Um, the, once you start bumping heads with something that I really liked and they really didn't like, and it's people that I know and I really like and I really respect their opinions and they're really fucking great people, I, I don't want to end up falling out over Pain and Gain. <laughs> Yeah, straight up. So, yeah, so definitely not shit from me, but if you think shit, that's fucking great. Yeah, definitely not shit. Um, so that is it from uh, from us this week. Uh, if you've already done Twitter questions. As we say, uh, anything else you need to add, Ian? Uh, no, that was a bit of a marathon. It was. Exactly. Uh, uh, quickly, in, in three words, um, or in one sentence, I'll say. Um, ben Affleck, Batman. In one sentence. Fine. One word. Fine. Mine is in one sentence. Get fucking over yourselves. Fine. It's received uh, Yeah. Who gives? I, I. Fucking hell. Who gives? I. To be honest, I'm more worried about the fact that apparently it looks like Chris Nolan's taken his name off of it, even executive producing. Yeah. I'm I'm more worried about that. Do, than, do you do you think that is because they've put Batman in it and he's gone? Whoa, no, no. I to be honest, yes. I I yeah. I I don't think it's because of the Ben Affleck thing. I think it's bad timing in terms of that. 
But I think it's, right, you're obviously doing your own fucking thing now. Good luck. See you later. Yeah, I've, I've helped you on your way. I've helped it so the film made a lot of money. Can I just go off and make my next movie now, please? Straight up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't understand the, the, the fucking, any of the vitriol that's gone behind that at all. No, no. Um, it's, it's, it's this week's thing that the internet has got angry about. There'll be another name. Oh, week. yeah. Um, feedback to at Dude and the Monkey or at Ian Loring or at Doofos, um, Dude and the Monkey at gmail.com. Uh, really hope you've enjoyed this show. We'll be back to our usual uh, one review uh, next week. Uh, and what are we doing next week? I, I, we will. It'll be a surprise. Oh, will it? Okay. <laughs> we don't know yet. Um, so thank you very much for listening, and I hope we uh, brightened up your bank holiday weekend. Cheers, guys. Cheers.